Poems by Thomas Gent. London. 1828. Advertisement. Some of the pieces in this volume have been separately published, at different times. The indulgence, I may say favor, with which they were individually received, has encouraged me to collect and republish them. I have added many others, which are now first printed. I shall be well satisfied, if they find as favorable a reception as their precursors, and are thought not to have increased the size, without at all increasing the merit, of the book. I cannot omit this opportunity of thanking those critics, who have honored me by reviewing my verses. I owe them my warm acknowledgments for candidly measuring my poems by their pretensions. They have looked at them as they really were, as the amusements of the leisure hours of a man whose fortune will not favor his inclination to devote himself to poetry, and conceiving a favorable opinion of them in that character, have kindly expressed it. London, December, 1827. During the progress of these pages through the press, it has pleased Providence to inflict upon me the severest calamity that domestic life can sustain. In the private sorrows of the humble candidate for literary fame, I am aware that the world will feel no interest, yet humanity will forgive the weakness that struggles under such a bereavement, and will pardon the tear that falls upon such a tomb. If, indeed, the being who is lost to her family and society were endowed only with those gifts and graces, which are shared by thousands of her sex, I should have been silent at this moment. To those who knew her, one, and to know her was to esteem and love, this tribute will be superfluous. But to those who knew her not, I would say, that, superadded to every natural advantage, to the charms of every polite accomplishment, and to a cheerful and sincere piety, she was deeply imbued with the love of literature and of science. In these, her lectures on the physiology of the external senses exhibit a splendid proof of her acquirements in their highest walks, and are an imperishable memorial of her patient and laborious research. They who were present at the delivery of these lectures will not soon forget the effect of her impressive elocution, chastened as it was by as unaffected modesty as ever adorned and dignified a woman. I speak of that which she performed, that which her capacious mind had meditated I forbear to mention. For the advancement of her sex and pursuits that are intellectual she made many sacrifices, both of her feelings and her time. Yet, in all she did, and in all she contemplated, usefulness was her end and aim. But I must not proceed. Less than this I could not say, more than this might be deemed ostentatious. What earthly tongue, and oh! What human pen can tell that scene of suffering, too severe? Tis ever present to my sight, oh! When will the sound cease its torture on mine ear? Oh, my lost love, thou patient being, never. Thy dying look of love can I forget, the last fond pressure of thy hand, forever. Thrills in my veins, I see thy struggles yet. Thy sculptured beauty is before me now, in thy calm dignity, and sweet repose, alas. Sad memory reinvests thy brow, with death's stern agony, and pain's last throes. Desolate heart be still, forgive, O God. The cries of feeble nature stricken sore. Father, assuage the terrors of thy rod. Teach me to see thy wisdom, and adore. Footnote 1. I cannot resist the melancholy gratification of quoting from the Literary Gazette of August 18th, in which the death of Mrs. Gent was announced to the public dot. Science has, since our last, suffered a severe loss by the death of this accomplished lady. She was well known for her high attainments as a lecturer, 
and her course on the physiology of the external senses was a perfect model of elegant composition and refined oratory. Mrs. Gent died at the residence of her husband, Thomas Gent, ESQ Doctors' Commons, after a month of severe suffering, which she bore with singular fortitude and the most pious resignation. There is a fine bust of her by Benz. It was in the exhibition two years since, and from its intrinsic simplicity and beauty alone, has had many casts made from it. And one of the most distinguished poets of the present day will, I am sure, forgive me if I quote his beautiful words in writing to me on this subject. For his talents she had the highest admiration, and no one was better able than himself to appreciate the excellence of her character. As to condolence, I never condole. What condolence could any one offer for the loss of so estimable a being as has been lost to society in your accomplished wife? I had a very great respect and esteem for her, and it would have highly gratified me to have been able to lighten the least of her trials. But what avails writing or visiting on occasions of such real pain? She lived a most amiable being, and for such there is the highest hope in the highest world. If I had conceived that her illness was at all serious, I should have gone to gather wisdom from her for my own hour. But now, that all her anxieties are past, I can invent no condolence. Poems Tis sweet in boyhood's visionary mood, when glowing fancy, innocently gay, flings forth, like motes, her bright aerial brood, to dance and shine in hope's prolific ray. Tis sweet, unweeding how the flight of years may darkling roll in trials and in tears, to dress the future in what garb we list, and shape the thousand joys that never may exist. But he, sad white, of all that feverish train, fooled by those phantoms of the wizard brain, most wildly dotes, whom young ambition stings to trust his weight upon poetic wings, he, downward looking in his airy ride, beholds Elysium bloom on every side. Unearthly bliss each thrilling nerve attunes, and thus the dreamer with himself communes. Yes, earth shall witness, ere my star be set, that partial nature marked me for her pet, that Phoebus doomed me, kind indulgent sire, to mount his car, and set the world on fire. Fame's steep ascent by easy flights to win, with a neat pocket volume I'll begin, and dirge, and sonnet, ode, and epigram, shall show mankind how versatile I am. The busking muse shall next my pen descry, the boxes from their inmost rows shall sigh, the pit shall weep, the galleries deplore such moving woes as ne'er were heard before. Enough, I'll leave them in their soft hysterics, mount, in a brighter blaze, and dazzle with Homerics. Then, while my name runs ringing through reviews, and maids, wives, widows, smitten with my muse, assail me with platonic billet doux. From this suburban attic I'll dismount, with Couts or Barclays open in account, ranged in my mirror, cards, with burnished ends, shall show the whole nobility my friends. That happy host with whom I choose to dine, shall make set parties, give his choicest wine, and age and infancy shall gape to see the lucky bard, and whisper, That is he! Poor youth! He print, and wakes, to sleep no more, the world goes on, indifferent, as before and the first notice of his metric skill comes in the likeness of his printer's bill. To pen soft notes no fair enthusiast stirs, except his laundress, and who values hers? None but herself, for though the bard may burn her note, she still expects one in return. The luckless maiden, all unblessed shall sigh, his pocket tome hath drawn his pockets dry. His tragedy expires in peals of laughter, and that so thrilling wish— 
to live hereafter, gives way to one as hopeless quite, I fear, and far more needful, how to live while here. Where are ye now, divine illusions all, checks, dinners, wines, admirers great and small, change to two followers, terrible to see, who dog his walks, and whisper, that is he, rhymesters attend, nor scorn and friendly hint, restrain your cacoas fears to print. But hark, my printer's devil's at the door, my leisure cannot yield one moment more, nor matters it, advice can ne'er restrain man, man, or poet from his bent. Tis vain to strive to point out colors to the blind, or set men seeking what they will not find. Mature Reflections O love! Divinest dream of youth, thy day of ecstasy is o'er, my bosom, touched by time and truth, thrills at thy dear deceits no more. Nor thou, ambition! Ere again, with splendor dazzling to betray, and aspirations fierce and vain, shall tempt my steps, away, away, alas, by stern experience cleft, when life's romance is turned to sport, if man hath consolation left on this side death, tis good old port, and thou, advice, who glum and chill, deuce the third bottle still gainsay, smile, and partake it, if you will, but if you want, away, Away! The grave of Dibden. Lives there who, with unhallowed hand, would tear one leaf from that immortal wreath which shades the hero's living brow, or decks his urn. Breathes there who does not triumph in the thought that Nelson's language is his mother tongue, and that St. Vincent's country is his own? Oh! These bright guerdons of renown are won by means most palpable to sense and sight, by days of peril and by nights of toil, by valor's long probation closed at last in victory's arms, consummated and sealed in deathless glory and immortal fame. Musing I stand upon his lowly grave, who though he fought no battle, though he poured no hostile thunders on his country's foes, achieved for Britain triumphs, less arrayed, in pomp and circumstance, nor visible to vulgar gaze, the triumphs of the mind. He nursed the elements of courage, he supplied the element that feeds and guides the daring spirit to its high emprise a nation's moral energies, by him directed, found a nobler end and aim. He gave that high discriminating tone that marks the brave from mercenary tools, features that separate a British crew from hireling bravos, and from pirate hordes. And yet no marble marks the spot where lies the dust of Dibden, no inscription speaks a nation's gratitude, a bard's desert. The youthful sailor on his midnight watch, fixing his gaze upon the tranquil moon, felt his heart soften as the thoughts of home rushed on his faithful memory. Then it was in language meet, and in appropriate strains, strains which thy lyre had taught him, he poured forth the feelings of his soul, and all was calm. Thy spirit still presides in that carouse, when to the far away, the toast is given, and absent wives and sweethearts claim their right, with woman's constancy thy songs are rife, and this pure creed still teaches man to endure privations, danger, and each form of death. When not a breath responded to the call, and seamen whistled to the winds in vain, when the loose canvas drooped in lazy folds, and idle pennants dangled from the mast, there, in that trying moment, thou wert found to teach the hardest lesson man can learn, passive endurance, and the breeze has sprung, as if obedient to the voice of song, and yet unhonored here thy ashes lie. A nobler lesson learned the gallant tar from his Orphean lyre to temper right the lion's courage with the attributes that to the gentle and the meek belong, 
O'er fallen foes to check the eye of fire, O'er fallen foes to soften heart of oak. He turned the fatalist's rash eye to him in whom the issues are of life and death. He taught to whom the battle is, to whom the victory belongs. His cherub, that aloft kept sleepless watch, was providence, not chance. And yet no honors are decreed for him, friend of the brave, thy memory cannot die. Th inquiring voice, that eagerly demands where rest thy ashes, shall preserve thy fame. Thine immortality thyself hast wrought, familiar as the terms of art, thy verse, thine own peculiar words are still the mode in which the seaman aptly would express his honest passions and his manly thoughts. His feelings kindle at thy burning words, which speak his duty in the battle's front. His parting whisper to the maid he loves is breathed in eloquence he learned from thee. Thou art his oracle in every mood, his trump of victory. His lyre of love, a sketch from life. She sat in beauty, like some form of nymph or naiad on the mossy, purple bank of her wild woodland stream, that at her feet lingered, and played, and dimpled, as in love or like those shapes that on the western clouds spread gold-dropped plumes, and sing to harps of pearl, and teach the evening winds their melody. How shall I tell her beauty, for the eye, fixed on the sun, is blinded by its beam. One glance, and then no more, upon that brow brighter than marble shining through those curls, richer than hyacinths when they wave their bells in the low breathing of the twilight wind dot. One glance upon that lip, beside whose hue the morning rose would sicken and grow pale till it was waked again by the soft breath that steals in music from those lips of love. Wert thou a statue I could pine for thee, but in thy living beauty there is all. The sacredness of modesty enshrines the ruby lip, bright brow, and beaming eye. I dare but worship what I must not love. On the portrait of the son of J.G. Lambton, Yescue, M.P. by Sir Thomas Lawrence, P.R.A. Beautiful boy, thy heavenward thoughts are pictured in thine eyes, thou hast no taint of mortal birth. Thy communing is not of earth, thy holy musings rise, like incense kindled from on high, ascending to its native sky. And such a head might once have graced the infant Samuel, when called by the favor of his God, the youthful priest the temple trod beloved of heaven and men. The same devotion on his brow as brightens in thy forehead now. Or thou may seem to fancies I one born by arms divine, one whom on earth a Savior blessed and on whose features left impressed the contact's holy sign, a light, a halo, and a grace, so pure th expression of that face. Or has the painter's skill alone such grace and glory given? Clothe thee with attributes which seem creations of an angel's dream, to raise the soul to heaven. No, as he found thee, he arrayed, and genius taught what God had made. Written in the album of the Lady of Counselor D. Pollock. Joy to thee, Lady. Many years of joy to thee, and thine, that springtide of the heart, the bliss of virtuous love, without alloy, and all that health and gladsome life impart. How gracefully hast thou thy task performed, the watchful tender mother, matchless wife, all woman boasts, thou hast indeed adorned, thine the high merit of an useful life. Forever cheerful, though the tragic muse, one, may call thee sister, both in form and mind, Thou doest to all those and thee charms transfuse, which shine so highly tempered and refined. Lady revered, the sunbeam and the rose are poor in beauty to sweet woman's smiles. Tis the bright sunset of life's awful close, the poet's deathless wreath. A spell all grief beguiles. Footnote 1. The lady, 
to whom these lines are addressed has been greatly noticed for the strong resemblance she bears to Mrs. Siddons. The Heliotrope. There is a flower, whose modest eye is turned with looks of light and love, who breathes her softest, sweetest sigh. Weena the sun is bright above. Let clouds obscure, or darkness veil, her fond idolatry is fled, her sighs no more their sweets exhale. The loving eye is cold and dead. Canst thou not trace a moral here, false flatterer of the prosperous hour? Let but an adverse cloud appear, and thou art faithless as the flower. Sonnet. On seeing a young lady, I had previously known, confined in a madhouse. Sweet wreck of loveliness. Alas, how soon the sad brief summer of thy joys hath fled, how sorrow's friendship for thy hapless doom, thy beauty faded, and thy hopes all dead. Oh, twas that beauty's power which first destroyed thy mind's serenity, its charms but led the faithless friend, that thy pure love enjoyed, to tear the beauteous blossom from its bed. How reason shudders at thy frenzied air, to see thee smile, with fancy's dreams possessed, or shrink, the frozen image of despair. Or, love enraptured, chant thy griefs to rest, oh, cease that mournful voice, affliction's child, my heart but bleeds to hear thy musings wild. Prometheus. What sovereign good shall satiate man's desires, propelled by hope's unconquerable fires? Vain each bright bauble by ambition prized, unwon, tis worshipped, but possessed, despised. Yet all defect with virtue shines allied, his mightiest impulse genius owes to pride. From conquered science graced with glorious spoils, he still dares on, demands sublimer toils, and had not nature checked his venrouse wing, his eye had pierced her at her primal spring. Thus when, enwrapped, Prometheus strove to trace inspired perceptions of celestial grace, th ideal spirit, fugitive as wind, art's forceful spells inanimate confined, curved with nice chisel floats the obsequious line, from stone unconscious, beauty beams divine, on magic poised, th exulting structure swims, and spurns attraction with elastic limbs. While ravished fancy vivifies the form, while judgment toils to analyze its charm, while admiration spreads her speaking hands, the lofty artist undelighted stands. He longs to ravish from the blessed abodes the seal of heaven, the attribute of gods, to give his labor more than man can give, breathe Jove's own breath, and bid the marble live. One from her woof, embellishing the skies, descending, palace soothes her viotiri's sighs, where, midst the twilight of o'erarching groves, by waking visions led, th enthusiast roves, like summer suns, by showery clouds concealed, with sudden blaze the goddess shines revealed. Behold, she cries, in thy distinguished cause I challenge Jove's inexorable laws. With life's stolen essence let th awaken stone a superhuman generation own. Defrauded nature shall admire the deed, and time recoil at thy immortal meed. Impregned with action, and convoked to breathe, sighs the still form his ardent hands beneath. Electric lusters flash from either eve, o'er its pale cheeks suffusive flushes fly, and glossy damps its clustering curls adorn, like dewdrops brightening on the brows of morn. Through nerves that vibrate in unfolding chains, foams the warm lifeblood, excavating veins, till all infused, and organized the whole, the finished fabric hails the breathing soul. Then wake tumultuous in th alarmed breast, contending passions claim th ethereal guest, and still, as each alternate empire proves, she hopes, she fears, she envies, 
and she loves, owns all sensations that deride the span, and eternize the little life of man. Rose's grave. It is a mournful pleasure to remember the exquisite taste and delight she evinced in the arrangement of a bouquet, and how often she wished that, hereafter, she might appear to me as a beautiful flower. Oh, lay me where my Rosa lies, and love shall o'er the moss-grown bed, when dewdrops leave the weeping skies. His tenderest tear of pity shed. And sacred shall the willow be, that shades the spot where virtue sleeps, and mournful memory weep to see the hallowed watch affection keeps. Yes, soul of love, this bleeding heart scarce beating, soon its grief shall cease, soon from his woes the sufferer part, and hail thee at the throne of peace. The Sibyl. A Sketch. So stood the Sibyl, streamed her hoary hair wild as a blast, and with a comet's glare glowed her red eyeballs midst the sunken gloom of their wild orbs, like death fires in a tomb. Slow, like the rising storm, in fitful moans broke from her breast the deep prophetic tones. Anon, with whirlwind rash, the spirit came, then in dire splendor, like imprisoned flame flashing through rift domes or towns amazed, her voice in thunder burst, her arms she raised, outstretched her hands, as with a fury's force, to grasp, and launch the slow descending curse, still as she spoke, her stature seemed to grow, still she denounced unmitigable woe, pain, want, and madness, pestilence, and death. Rode forth triumphant at her blasting breath, their march she marshaled, taught, their ire to fall, and seemed herself the emblem of them all. Love. Love, what is love? A mere machine, a spring for freaks fantastic, a convenient thing, a point to which each scribbling white most steer, or vainly hope for food or favor here, a summer's sigh, a winter's wistful tale, a sound at which th untutored maid turns pale, her soft eyes languish, and her bosom heaves, and hope delights as fancy's dream deceives. Thus speaks the heart which cold disgust invades, when time instructs, and hope's enchantment fades, through life's wide stage, from sages down to kings, the puppets move, as art directs the strings, imperious beauty bows to sordid gold, her smiles, whence heaven flows eminent, are sold, and affectation swells th entrancing tones, which nature subjugates, and truth disowns. I love th ingenuous maiden, practice not to pierce the heart with ambushed glances, shot from eyelashes, whose shadowy length she knows to a hair's point, their high arch went to close half o'er the swimming orb, and went to raise, disclosing all the artificial blaze of unfelt passion, which alone can move him whom the genuine eloquence of love affected never, one with wanton wiles, with soulless sighs, and meretricious smiles. By nature unimpressed, uncharmed by thee, sweet goddess of my heart, simplicity, on a delightful drawing in my album. By my friend T. Woodward Eskew of a group, consisting of a donkey, a boy, and a dog. Welcome, my pretty Nettie, welcome to thy merry rider with his apron blue, and now, poor dog, most patient thing of all, begging for morsels that may never fall. Oh, tis a faithful group, and it might shame painters of bold pretense, and greater name, to see how nature triumphs, and how rare such matchless proofs of nature's triumphs are. The smallest particle of sand may tell with what rich or pactolous tide may swell, and woodward. This ingenious, chaste design proclaims what treasures lie within the mine. Pupil of Cooper, nature's favorite son, whom, but to name, 
and to admire, is one. Stanzas. Say, why is the stern eye averted with scorn of the stoic who passes along? And why frowns the maid, else as mild as the morn? On the victim of falsehood and wrong? For the wretch sunk in sorrow, repentance, and shame, the tear of compassion is one, and alone must she forfeit the wretch's sad claim, because she's deceived and undone? Oh! Recall the stern look, ere it reaches her heart, to bid its wounds rankle anew. Oh! Smile, or embalm with a tear the sad smart, and angels will smile upon you. Time was, when she knew nor opprobrium nor pain, and youth could its pleasures impart, till some serpent distilled to her bosom the stain, as he wound round the strings of her heart. Poor girl, let thy tears through thy blandishments break, nor strive to retrace them within, for mine would I mingle with those on thy cheek, nor think that such sorrow were sin. When the low trampled reed, and the pine in its pride, shall alike feel the hand of decay, may thy God grant that mercy the world has denied, and wipe all your sorrows away. Shakespeare Respectfully inscribed, with permission, to the committee, of which His Majesty is the patron, for the proposed monuments to Shakespeare at Stratford and in London, intended to be spoken at one of the theatres. While o'er this pageant of sublunar things oblivion spreads her unrelenting wings, and sweeps adown her dark unebbing tide man, and his mightiest monuments of pride, alone, aloft, immutable, sublime, star-like, and sphered above the track of time, great Shakespeare beams with undiminished ray. His bright creation sacred from decay, like nature's self, whose living form he drew, though still the same, still beautiful and new. He came, untaught in academic bowers, a gift to glory from the sylvan powers, but what keen sage, with all the science fraught, by elder bards or later critics taught, shall count the chords of his mellifluous shell, span the vast fabric of his fame, and tell by what strange arts he bade the structure rise, on what deep site the strong foundation lies. This, why should Scoliast's labor to reveal? We all can answer it, we all can feel, ten thousand sympathies, attesting, start, for Shakespeare's temple, is the human heart, lord of a throne which mortal ne'er shall share, despot adored. He rails and revels there. Who but has found, where'er his track hath been, through life's oft shifting, multifarious scene, still at his side the genial bard attend, his loved companion, counselor, and friend. The thespian sisters nurtured in the schools of Greece and Rome, and long chorus by rules, scarce moved the inmates of their native hearth with tiny pathos and with trivial mirth, till she, great muse of daring enterprise, delighted England, saw her Shakespeare rise. Then, first aroused in that appointed hour, the tragic muse confessed th inspiring power. Sudden before the startled earth she stood, a giant specter, weeping tears and blood, guilt shrunk appalled, despair embraced his shroud, and terror shrieked, and pity sobbed aloud. Then, first Talia with dilated ken and quickened footstep pierced the walks of men, then folly blushed, vice fled the general hiss, delight met reason with a loving kiss. At satire's glance pride smoothed his lowering crest. The graces weaved the dance dot, and last and best came Momus down in Falstaff's form to earth, to make the world one universe of mirth. Such sympathies the glorious bard endear. Thus fair he walks in man's diurnal sphere. But when, upborne on bright invention's wings, he dares the realms of uncreated things, forms more divine, more dreadful, start to view, 
than ever Hades or Olympus knew. Round the dark cauldron, terrible and fell, the midnight witches breathe the songs of hell. Delighted Ariel wings his fiery way to whirl the storm, the wheeling orbs to stay, then bathes in honeydews, and sleeps in flowers. Meanwhile, young Oberon, girt with shadowy powers, pursues o'er oceans verge the pale cold moon, or hymns her, riding in her highest noon. Thus graced, thus glorified, shall Shakespeare crave the sculptor's skill, the pageant of the grave? He needs it not, but gratitude demands this votive offering at his country's hands. Haply, ere now, from blissful bowers on high, from some Parnassus of the imperial sky, pleased, o'er this dome the gentle spirit bends, accepts the gift, and hails us as his friends, yet smiles, perchance, to think when envious time o'er bust and urn shall bid his ivies climb, when palaces and pyramids shall fall, his page shall triumph, still surviving all, till earth itself, like breath upon the wind, shall melt away, nor leave a rack behind, impromptu to Oriana, unattending with her, as sponsors, at a christening. Lady, who didst, with angel look and smile, and the sweet luster of those dear, dark eyes, gracefully bend before the font of Christ, in humble adoration, faith, and prayer. Oh, as the infant pledge of friends beloved received from thy pure lips its future name, sweetly unconscious looked the baby boy. How beautifully helpless, and how mild! Methought a seraph spread her shout ring wings over the solemn scene, and as the sun, in its full splendor, on the altar came, God's blessings seemed to sanctify the deed. To my spaniel Fanny. Fanny! Were all the world like thee, how cheerly then this life would glide, dear emblem of fidelity! Long mayst thou grace thy master's side. Long cheer his hours of solitude, with watchful eye each wish to learn and anxious speechless gratitude hail with delight each short sojourn. When sick at heart, thy welcome home a weary load of grief dispels, gladdens with hope the hours to come, and yet a mournful lesson tells. To find thee ever faithful, kind, my guard by night, my friend by day, while those in friendship more refined have with my fortunes flown away. Why bounteous nature hast thou given to this poor brute, a boon so kind as constancy, blessed gift of heaven, and man, to waver like the wind? Widowed love, one. Tell me, chaste spirit, in yon orb of light, which seems to wearied souls an ark of rest so calm, so peaceful, so divinely bright, solace of broken hearts, the mansion of the blessed. Tell me, oh, tell me, shall I meet again the long-lost object of my only love? This hope but mine, death were release from pain, angel of mercy. Haste, and waft my soul above. Footnote 1, Mr. T. Miller has composed sweet music to these lines, and has been peculiarly fortunate in composing and singing some of the exquisite melodies of T. H. Bailey, E.S.Q. of Bath. Written in the album of the Lady of Dr. George Birkbeck, M.D., President of the London Mechanics Institution, and of the Chemical and Meteorological Societies. Founder and patron of the Glasgow Mechanics Institute, N.C., N.C., and see, lady unknown, a pilgrim from the shrine of poesy's fair temple, brings a wreath which fame and gratitude alike entwine, around a name that charms the monster death, and bids him pause, amidst despairing life Birkbeck's the harbinger of hope and health, when sordid affluence was with man at strife, he boldly stripped the veil, and showed the wealth to aged ignorance, and ardent youth, of cultured minds, 
the freedom of the soul, the sun of science, and the light of truth, the bliss of reason, mind without control. Accept this tribute, lady, and the praise, as consort and the soother of his care, his offspring's pride, his friend's commingled rays, and every other grace that man has deemed most rare. The chain pier brighten, a sketch. Hail, lovely morn. And now, all beauteous sea, sun sparkling with the diamond's countless rays, thy look, how tranquil, one eternal calm, which seems to woo the troubled soul to peace. Now, all is sunshine, and thy boundless breast scarce heaves, unruffled, all thy waves subside, light murmuring, like the baby sighs of rest, into a gentle ripple on the shore. All hail, dear woman, saving ark of man, his surest solace in this world of woe. How cheering are thy smiles, which, like the breeze of health, play softly o'er the pallid cheek, and turn its rigid markings to a smile. England may well be proud of scenes like this, the beaming beauty which adorns the pier. Hung like a fairy fabric o'er the sea, the graceful wonder of this wondrous age, intrepid brown, one, the future page shall tell thy generous spirit's persevering aim, that wrought so much, so well, thy country's weal, how fit for thee, the gallant seaman's life, his restless nights, and days of ceaseless toil. Framed by thy mighty hand, the giant work checked the rude tempest in its fearful way. Thy bold inventions gave new life to hope, steadied the wavering, and confirmed the brave, and bade the timid smile amidst the storm. Spirit of Hogarth, had I but one ray of that vast sun which warmed thy very mind, how would I now describe the motley groups which crowd, in thoughtless ease, thy moving road. Mark the young confidence of yesterday, offspring of pride, and fortune's blinded fool, engendered like the vermin of an hour, all would be fashion, elegance, and ease, while, by his side, the weaker vessel smirks, in tawdry finery, with presuming gait, as though the world were made for them alone, their liveried lackey, half-concealed in lace, the vulgar wonder of an upstart race. How heartlessly they passed that mourner by, the poor lone widow, with her death-struck load. In speechless poverty, she courts the air, to give its blessing to her suffering babe, not asking it herself, for life, to her, has now no charm, her refuge is the grave. Here comes the moral almanac of years, the prim old maid, and by her side, her niece, full of bewitching beauty, health, and love. See how the tabby watches Laura's eyes, lest they should smile upon some pleasing spark and violate grim prudery's tyrant ties. With icy finger she her charge directs to view the faithful dial of the sun, whose moral tells how tide and time pass on. See there, the faded victim of mischance, read, in that hollow eye, an altered look, the deep anxiety which gnaws the heart, incessant struggling gainst the tide of care, which wears his life away. And there, again, the empty, lucky fool, who never thought, nor ever will, yet lives and smiles, and thrives. Mark ye, that ready reckoner's figured face? Cold calculation in his thoughtful step, the heartless wretch, who never trusts his land, and never is deceived, and next him, comes laughing good nature, with ruddy cheeks, and welcome look, determined to be pleased. He comes to ask, or go with friend to dine, his labor but to dress, to eat, to sleep, he knows no suffering equal to bad wine. There, the prig parson, with indented hat and formal step, demanding your respect, yonder, 
the lovely insect-chasing child. His is, indeed, a life of envious joy, hope and anticipation, on the wing, to him no sad realities e'er bring. And now, the humble Quaker, plain and proud. Humility is this, indeed, thy type? I know it is not, for I know the man. His lovely daughter bears an angel form and mind, that glorifies her sex's charms, meekness and charity her life employ, a seraph sorrowing for a suffering world. Lo! To the matron, with her household gods, the deities she worships night and day. Affection has no bounds, nor language words, to tell a mother's tender ceaseless charge. Children, can all your future lore repay the nights of watchfulness, and days of care, which a fond parent gives, see, last sad sight, the hardy British tar, cutlass unsheathed, unlike the truly brave. Here, watching, night and day, degenerate lot, to seize a fisherman, or stop a cart, or fright the wandering spirits from the shore. His brief authority has just detained a boat of cockles and a quart of gin. The smart Lieutenant Seppelet, methinks, blushes at this degrading, pimping trade dot, for deeds like these, let objects be employed, who never shared their country's high renown. Adieu, vast ocean, cradle of the brave, tablet of England's glory, and her shield. To thee, and those dear friends who lured me here, with hospitality's enchanting smile, and chased away a little age of woe, gratefully, I dedicate these tuneful lays. July, 1826. Footnote 1. My friend, Captain Samuel Brown, of the Royal Navy, whose inventions and improvements of the iron chain cable, and various others connected with the naval service, deserve the gratitude of his country, independent of the admirable chain pier at Brighton, a suspension bridge over the Tweed, pier at Newhaven, bridge at Heckham, the iron work for Hammersmith's suspension bridge, and other successful undertakings. Sonnet. Morning. Light as the breeze that hails the infant morn the milkmaid trips, as o'er her arm she slings her cleanly pale, some favorite lay she sings as sweetly wild and cheerful as the horn. Oh, happy girl I may never faithless love, or fancied splendor, lead thy steps astray. No cares becloud the sunshine of thy day, nor want e'er urge thee from thy cot to rove. What though thy station dooms thee to be poor, and by the hard-earned morsel thou art fed, yet sweet content bedecks thy lowly bed, and health and peace sit smiling at thy door, of these possessed. Thou hast a gracious meed, which heaven's high wisdom gives, to make thee rich indeed. On the death of Dr. Abel, one. Physician and naturalist to Lord Amherst, Governor-General of India, who died at Kanpur, 24th of November, 1826. Another awful warning voice of death to human dignity and human pride. Tis sad to mark how short the longest life, how brief was thine. Thy day is done, and all its complicated hopes and fears lie buried, Abel, in an early grave. The unavailing tear for thee shall flow, and love and friendship faithful record keep of all thy varied worth thy anxious strife for fame and years, now gone forever. Yet o'er thy tomb science and learning bend in mute regret, and truth proclaims thy just inheritance and honored name, lamented most by those who knew thee best, except this humble, tributary lay, from one, who in thy boyhood and thy prime had shared thy friendship, and had fondly hoped when last we parted, many years were thine and joys in store, 
that thy elastic mind might long have gladdened life's monotony. Thine was a princely heart, a joyous soul, the charm of reason, and the sprightly wit which kept dull-lettered ignorance in awe shook the pretender on his tinsel throne, and claimed the glorious dignity of mind. Alas! That in thy prime, when time began to make thee nearly all the world could wish, the spoiler death should unrelenting come, as though in envy of thy wondrous skill, and stop the fountain of a noble heart. Rest, anxious spirit, from life's feverish dream, from all its sad realities and cares, be this thy epitaph, thy honored boast, thine was the fame, which thine own mind achieved. Footnote 1. Dr. Abel was greatly distinguished in his profession for his love of it, and for the ardor of his pursuits in useful knowledge. He published many ingenious papers on medical science and natural history. His account of the embassy to China, under Lord Amherst, has been generally admired. He practiced with increasing respect as a physician, at Brighton, previous to his leaving England for India, and meditated, as the author of this article knows, one or two works, which, from the activity of his mind, may yet be anticipated. Dr. Abel was a native of Bungai, in Suffolk, where his father was a banker, and it is supposed was about thirty-five years of age when he died. It is worthy of remark that the present eminent and estimable Dr. Gooch, librarian to His Majesty, and Dr. Abel, should both have been pupils of Mr. Borit, surgeon, of Yarmouth. Sonnet. Night. Now when done night her shadowy veil has spread, see want and infamy, as forth they come, lead their wan daughter from her branded home, to woo the stranger for unhallowed bread. Poor outcast! O'er thy sickly-tinted cheek and half-clad form, what havoc one hath made, and the sweet luster of thine eye doth fade, and all thy soul's sad sorrow seems to speak. Oh, miserable state, compelled to wear the wooing smile, as on thy aching breast some wretch reclines, who feeling ne'er possessed, thy poor heart bursting with the stifled tear. Oh, God of mercy, bid her woes subside, and be to her a friend, who hath no friend beside. Constancy. 2. Dearest love, when thy God shall recall thee, be this record inscribed on thy tomb, truth and gratitude, well may applaud thee, and all thy past virtues relume. It shall tell, to thy sex's proud honor, of sufferings and trials severe, while still, through protracted affliction, not a murmur escaped, but the tear. Of resignment to heaven's high dictates, t'was thine, like a martyr, to shed, that heart, all affection for others, for thyself, uncomplainingly, bled. Midst the storms, which misfortune had gathered, what an angel thou wert unto me, in that hour, when all friendship seemed severed, thou didst bloom like the evergreen tree. All was gloom, and in vain had I striven, for hope ceased a ray to impart, when thou camest, like a meteor from heaven, and gave peace to my desolate heart. Epistle to a friend. Give me the wreath of friendship true, whose flowerets fade not in a breath, from memory gaining many a hue, to bloom beyond the touch of death. And I will send it to thy home, thy home beloved, my faithful friend, and pray for its perpetual bloom and every bliss that earth can send. Within its magic wreath I'd place heart's ease and every lovely flower, to win thee by their matchless grace, and cheer and bless the lonely hour. When at the world's unkind return of all thy worth, and all thy care, Thou mayst in spite of manhood turn, and shed the sad, the bitter, tear. 
Then, midst this holy grief of thine, the thought of some true friend may bless, and cheer the gloom like angels smile, or sunbeam in a wilderness. And could I hope I had a claim on thee in such a rapturous hour? Oh, that indeed I'd own were fame, the saving arc of friendship's power. Or that, in future years, thy babes should o'er this frail memorial bend, for first affection rarely fades, and boast that I was once the friend, whose wit or worth possessed a charm, by parents loved, and them caressed. That spell would every sorrow calm, and bid my anxious spirit rest. Here in our fairy bowers we dwell. A glee. Sung by Messrs. Golden, Pine, and Nelson Dot, composed by Mr. Rook. Here, in our fairy bowers, we dwell, women our idol, life's best treasure. Echo enchanted joys to tell, our feast of laugh, of love, and pleasure. Say, is not this then bliss divine, beauty's smiles and rosy wine? Eternal mirth and sunshine reign, for grief we cannot find the leisure. Night's social gods have banished pain, morn lights us to increasing pleasure. Say, is not this then bliss divine, beauty's smiles and rosy wine? Here in our fairy bowers, and see. Henry and Eliza. O'er the wide heath now moontide horrors hung, and night's dark pencil dimmed the tints of spring. The boding minstrel now harsh omens sung, and the bat spread his dark nocturnal wing. At that still hour, pale Cynthia oft had seen the fair Eliza, joyous once and gay, with pensive step, and melancholy mien, o'er the broad plain in love-born anguish stray. Long had her heart with Henry's been entwined, and love's soft voice had waked the sacred blaze of Hymen's altar, while, with him combined, his cherub train prepared the torch to raise. When, lo, his standard raging more upreared, and honor called her Henry from her charms. He fought, but ah, torn, mangled, blood besmeared, fell, nobly fell, amid his conquering arms. In her sad bosom, a tumultuous world of hopes and fears on his dear M.E.M. spread, for fate had not the clouded roll unfurled, nor yet with baleful hemlock crowned her head. Reflection, oft to sad remembrance, brought the well-known spot, where they so oft had strayed, while fond affection tenfold ardor caught, and smiling innocence around them played. But these were past. And now the distant bell, for deep and pensive thought had held her there, told midnight out, with long resounding knell, while dismal echoes quivered in the air. Again t'was silence, when from out the gloom she saw, with awestruck eye, a phantom glide, t'was Henry's form, what pencil shall presume to paint her horror, Henry as he died. Enervate, long she stood, a sculpture dread, till waking sense dissolved amazement's chain. Then home, with timid haste, distracted fled, and sunk in dreadful agony of pain. Not the deep sigh, which maddened Sappho gave, when from Lucate's craggy height she sprung, could equal that which gave her to the grave, the last sad sound that echoed from her tongue. Written on the death of General Washington. Lamented chief, at thy distinguished deeds the world shall gaze with wonder and applause, while, on fair history's page, the patriot reads thy matchless virtue in thy country's cause. Yes, it was thine, amid destructive war, to shield it nobly from oppression's chain, by justice armed, to brave each threatening jar, assert its freedom, and its rights maintain. Much honored statesman, husband, father, friend, a generous nation's grateful tears are thine. E'en unborn ages shall thy worth commend, and never fading laurels deck thy shrine. 
illustrious warrior. On the immortal base, by freedom reared, thy envy name shall stand, and fame, by truth inspired, shall fondly trace thee, pride and guardian of thy native land. 2. In vain, sweet maid. For me you bring the first-blown blossoms of the spring, my tearful cheek you wipe in vain, and bid its pale rose bloom again. In vain. Unconscious, did I say? Oh, you alone these tears can stay, alone, the pale rose can renew, whose sunshine is a smile from you. Yet not in friendship's smile it lives, too cold the gifts that friendship gives, the beam that warms a winter's day, plays coldly in the lap of May. You bid my sad heart cease to swell, but will you, if its tale I tell, nor turn away, nor frown the while, but smile, as you were wont to smile? Then bring me not the blossoms young, that erst on Flora's forehead hung, but round thy radiant temples twine, the flowers whose flaunting mocks at mine. Give me, nor pinks, nor pansies gay, nor violets, fading fast away, nor myrtle, rue, nor rosemary, but give, oh, give thyself to me. Monody to the memory of the right honorable Richard Brinsley Sheridan. Preface to Second Edition the very flattering success which attended the first edition of this brief but affectionate sketch, I must attribute to the interest of the subject, rather than the merit of the composition, and I cannot but feel grateful to those writers who have honored me by their notice and approbation. I must not again go to press, without acknowledging how much I am indebted to a kind friend, who happened to be in Norfolk at the time I was printing the first edition, with whom I had the happiness to pass many delightful hours and to whose admirable taste and judgment I owe many valuable suggestions. In mentioning John Kemble with Sheridan, I associate two of the brightest stars that have illumined the literature and drama of the country. T.G. Yarmouth, Norfolk, 1816. Sheridan. Embalmed in fame, and sacred from decay, what mighty name, in arms, in arts, or verse, from England claims this consecrated day? Her nobles crowding round the shadowy hearse? Hark! From yon fane, within whose hallowed mounds her bards, her warriors, and her statesmen sleep, the solemn, slow, funereal bell resounds, while mournful echoes dread accordance keep. Spirits revered, beyond that awful bourne, who share the dark communion of the tomb, a kindred genius seeks your dread sojourn, ye heirs of glory. Hail a brother home. Obscured, as Sheridan to dust descends, Recedes each ray from wit's effulgent sphere. Lo! Every muse in silent sorrow bends, Her votive laurels mingling o'er his bier. But chiefly thou, from whose polluted shrine His filial hand Circean rabble drove, What pangs, Talia! In this hour are thine, What fervent anguish of maternal love! How long perverted, had the comic scene, The flattering reflex of a sensual age, Shown prurient folly's rank licentious mien, Refined, embellished on the pander stage. While Vanberg, Congreve, Farquhar, heaven endowed, to scourge bold vice with wit's resistless rod, embraced her chains, stood forth her priests avowed, and scattered flowers in every path she trod. In glorious praise, though judgment self-admired those wanton strains which virtue blushed to hear, while pampered passion from the scene retired, with wilder rage to urge his fierce career. At length, all graced in fancy's orient hues, his native fires with added culture bright, rose Sheridan, to vindicate the muse, and gild the drama with meridian light. Him, 
skill to like great nature's genuine form, or fashion's light factitious traits to trace, the scene confessed, with glowing pathos warm, or gaily sportive in familiar grace. With what nice art his master hand he flung o'er each fine chord which thrills the polished breast, let Falkland tell. With woe's ideal stung, let gentle Julia's generous flame attest, one. Satire, that oft with castigation rude degrades, while zealous to correct mankind, refined by him, more generous aims pursued, reformed the vice, but left no sting behind. Yet, though with wit's imperishable bays and wreath, he held an uncontested throne, those circling climes, unanimous in praise, confirmed the partial suffrage of his own. In careless mood he sought the muse's bower, his lyre, like that to great Pelide strong, the softening solace of a vacant burr, its airy descant indolently rung. But when, portentous mid the storms of war, glared public danger, when, with withering din, the spoil-flushed foes strode furious from afar, and dire dread, rebellion raged within. Then Sheridan, dilating to the storm, bright as the pharos, as the watchtower strong, with all the patriots' inspiration warm, thy genius poured its thundering voice along. Who heard thee not, in that tremendous hour, when Britain mourned her surest anchor lost, and saw her alienated navies lower, like the charged tempest, round their parent coast? With active zeal, which no cold medium knew, nor party ruled, nor prejudice confined, but to thy heart's spontaneous impulse true, thou gazed thy country all thy mighty mind. What time Iberia, gashed with many a scar, braved the fierce gall, in fervor uncontrolled, though doubts and fears bedimmed her struggling star, its bright ascent thy prescient soul foretold. Late, too, when France, with sophist cunning fraught, essayed that field which force had failed to gain, and proudly questioned, by success untaught, Britannia's lineal right, her watery reign, while meaner foes denounced with equal hate her flag, which wide in freedom's cause unfurled, the saving sign of many a sinking state, had chased oppression from th insulted world. Oh, that beyond the light diurnal page, inscribed on high in monumental gold, that strain might kindle each succeeding age, which thus thy generous indignation rolled. If e'er, of ancient energy bereaved Britannia, bent by menace or design, should stain her naval scepter, heart achieved, and yield one claim, one cherished right resign. Then, hurled in ruin from her radiant sphere, sunk her proud isle in ocean's depths profound. May all her glories pass from memory's ear, an idle legend, a derided sound. Such were his merits whom the muse deplores, the wit, the statesman, orator, and bard. Nor when his frailty's jealous truth explores shall candor shrink from her supreme award. If, all propitious, when his ardent prime beat high with hope, in conscious powers elate, ambition wooed him from her height sublime, and partial fortune opt her golden gate. What hostile influence, glooming o'er his way, chilled each fine impulse, each aspiring aim, effused bleak clouds round life's declining ray, and left his labors no reward but fame. T'was not alone that in the festive bower, prompt in the social sympathies to melt, too long he lingered that the genial hour his fervid sense too exquisitely felt. But that in tasks of public duty proved, onward with faith inflexible he trod, alike by fortune's dazzling lure unmoved, or stern necessity's relentless rod. Yin and the self shall sanction that applause, and oft, slow pacing yon sepulchral gloom, with fond regret shall meditation pause, 
and breathe these accents o'er his honored tomb. Ye muses, come with ministry divine. Protect the shrine where Sheridan is laid, ye patriot virtues. Hear your homage join, assert his worth, and soothe his hovering shade. Emblazoned high in Albion's rolls of fame, a guiding star by which her sons may steer, this proud inscription let his memory claim. Above himself, he held his country dear. Footnote 1 Rivals On the beautiful portrait of Mrs. Foreman as Pandora In the Somerset House Exhibition, 1826. Dot, painted by J.P. Davis Oh, hadst thou, Jove, with adamantine locks fixed fast the springs of poor Pandora's box, then had she, bright enchantment, bloomed forever in all the charms consenting gods could give her. Wit, wisdom, beauty, she had every grace which makes man play the madman for a face. But chief, blessed gift, for him ordained to ask it, the gem of gems, th incomparable casket, and lo, with trembling hands and ardent eyes the bridegroom claims it, and behold the prize. First, like a vapor o'er the heavens obscured, from that dark confine, rose the fiends immured, then groaned the earth, in fury swelled the floods, blasts smote the harvests, lightning fired the woods, blue-spotted plague rode gibbering on the blast, and nations shrieked, and perished, as he passed. Amazed, indignant, Epimetheus stood, vowed dire revenge, and strung his nerves for blood. It was not then that from the coffer's lid hope's roseate smile his fierce delirium chid. He saw, in that fair wife which heaven had sent but mighty mischief's mortal instrument, and swore not hope, nor mercy's self should save her, looked in her face, smiled, sight, and then forgave her. Sonnet to on her recovery from illness. Fair flower, that fallen beneath the angry blast, which marks with withered sweets its fearful way, I grieve to see thee on the low earth cast, while beauty's trembling tints fade fast away. But who is she that from the mountain's head comes gaily on, cheering the child of earth? The walks of woe bloom bright beneath her tread, and nature smiles with renovated mirth. Tis health. She comes, and hark! The valleys ring, and hark! The echoing hills repeat the sound. She sheds the new-blown blossoms of the spring, and all their fragrance floats her footsteps round. And hark! She whispers in the zephyr's voice, Lift up thy head, fair floweret, and rejoice. The runaway. Ah! Who is he by Cynthia's gleam discerned? the statue of distress, weeping beside the willowed stream that laves the woodland wilderness. Why talks he to the idle air? Why, listless, at his length reclined, heaves he the groan of deep despair, responsive of the midnight wind? Speak, gentle shepherd. Tell me why. Sir, he has lost his wife, they say, of what disorder did she die? Lord, sir, of none, she ran away. To Margaret Jane H., on her birthday, June 17th. Thou art indeed a lovely flower, and I, just like the fleeting hour, which few will heed on folly's brink, so rarely deigns the world to think. Yet ere I go, child of my heart, one faithful offering I'll impart to thee, thy parents' sole delight, to me, an angel, pure as light. Send on this earth to cheer and bless, like sunbeam in a wilderness, with fascination's form and face and all the charms that please and grace. A guileless heart, a lovely mind, a temper ardent, yet refined, and in the early dawn of youth, taught to love honor, faith, 
and truth. Ah, these, when all the transient joys of idle life, when all its toys shall fade like mist before the sun, yet, ere thy little day is done, shall give that calm, that true delight, which gilds the darkling hues of night, the sunset of a well-spent day, a glorious immortality. On reading the poem of Paris, by the Rev. George Crowley A.M., author of The Angel of the World, Sebastian, and C., by the trim taper and the blazing hearth, while loud without the blast of winter sun, now thrilled with awe, and now relaxed with mirth, Paris, I've roamed thy varied haunts among, loitering where fashion's insect myriads spread their painted wings, and sport their little day, anon, by beckoning recollection led to the dark shadow of the sterner bay, pale fancy heard the petrifying shriek of midnight murder from its turrets bleak, and to her horrent I came passing on phantoms of those. Dark times, elapsed and gone, when Rapin yelled o'er his defenseless prey, as unchained anarchy her toxin rung, and France. In dust and blood thy throne and altars lay. Oh, thou, thus skilled with absolute control, where'er thou wilt to lead th admiring soul, gifted alike with fancies trained to sport, and tread light measures in her elfin court, or pierce the height where grandeur sits alone, girt by the tempest, on his mountain throne, whatever the theme which wakes thy vocal shell, well pleased I follow where its concords swell. In regal halls, where pleasure wings the night with pomp and music, revelry and light. Or where, unwept by love's deploring eyes in the lone morgue, the self-doomed victim lies, then, midst the twilight of yon chapel dim, to mark religion's reverend martyr, him who kneels entranced in agony of prayer, his fellow victims torpid with despair, thrilled by his piercing tones, his beaming eye glows, as he glows, nor longer dread to die. Now, born to Belgium's plain on bolder wings, where England's warriors fix the fate of kings, at once the patriot and the poet glows, and full the mingling inspiration flows, resume the lyre, not thine in myrtle bowers to trifle light with life's uncounted hours, to crown thy toils, propitious fame from far entwines her noblest wreath, illumes her loftiest star. Written on the death of General Sir Ralph Abercrombie. Mute memory stands at valor's awful shrine. In tears Britannia mourns her hero dead. A world's regret, brave Abercrombie's thine, for nature sorrowed as thy spirit fled. For not the tear that matchless courage claims, to honest zeal, and soft compassion due, alone is thine, o'er thy adored remains each virtue weeps, for all once lived in you. Yes, on thy deeds exulting I could dwell, to speak the merits of thy honored name. But ah, what need my humble muse to tell? when rapture's self has echoed forth thy fame. Yet still thy name its energies shall deal, when wild storms gather round thy country's sun, her glowing youth shall grasp the gleamy steel, ranked round the glorious wreaths which thou hast won. Written in the album of I, H. P. Esq. Dear P., while painters, poets, sages, inscribe this volume's votive pages with partial friendship, why invite the tribute of a luckless white unknown? by wisdom or by wit indulged with no certificate. Perchance, as in a diadem glittering with many a radiant gem, some mean metallic foil is placed judicious, by the hand of taste. You seek, amidst the sons of fame, to set an undistinguished name? If so, that name is freely lent, a pebble to your gems, t. Gent. Retaliation. Love, Cupid, gallantry, whatever we call that elf, seen everywhere, half frolicsome, half ennuis, had chanced a country walk to choose, 
when sudden, sweet and bright as may, young beauty tripped across his way. Upon my word, exclaims the boy, a lucky hit. This pretty toy to pass an hour, with vapors haunted, is quite the thing I wished and wanted. I do not so far condescend as serious mischief to intend, but just to show my powers of pleasing and flattery, badinage, and teasing. But should she, for young girls, poor things, are tender as yon insect's wings, should she mistake me, and grow fond, why I'll grow serious, and abscond. First, not abruptly to confound her, with glance and smile he hovers round her, next, like a bond street or palm all bow, begins to press her gentle elbow, then plays at once, familiar walking, his whole artillery of talking, like a young fawn the blushing maid trips on, half pleased and half afraid, and while she palpitates and listens, still fluttering where the sunbeam glistens, he shows her all his pretty things, his bow and quiver, dart and wings, now, proud in power, he sees her eyes, dilate with beautiful surprise, but most, though fraught with perturbation. His weapons claim her admiration, and with an archness most bewitching, her naive simplicity enriching, she wonders where a maid might buy them, and begs to be allowed to try them. With secret scorn, but smiling bland, he yields them to her curious hand, when, instant, twang, the arrow flew, so just her aim, it pierced him through, right through his heart, the luckless lad. A heart, to do him right, he had, all prone he lies, in throbbing anguish, through many an hour to pine and languish, and what made all his pangs more bitter, off flew the damsel in a titter. Prudence, concealed behind a tree, cries out, You've always laughed at me, henceforth you'll recollect, young sir, tis not so safe to laugh at her. Lines written in a copy of the poem on Princess Charlotte. Presented to Mrs. D.T. Madam, when sorrowing o'er the virtuous dead, the gentlest solace of the tears we shed is to surviving excellence to turn and honor there those merits that we mourn. The muse, whose hand fair Brunswick's ashes strew with votive flowers, would weave a wreath for you, but living worth forbids th applause of lay. Therefore, repressing all respect, would say, she proffers silently her simple strain. If you approve, she has not toiled in vain. Sonnet. When the rough storm roars round the peasant's cot, and bursting thunders roll their awful din, while shrieks the fright night bird o'er the spot, oh, what serenity remains within! For their contentment, health, and peace, abide, and pillowed age, with calm eye fixed above, labor's bold son, his blithe and blooming bride, and lisping innocence, and filial love. To such a scene let proud ambition turn, whose aching breast conceals its secret woe, then shall his fireful spirit melt, and mourn the mild enjoyments it can never know, then shall he feel the littleness of state, and sigh that fortune e'er had made him great. To Robert Southey, yes on reading his. Remains of Henry Kirk White. Southey, high placed on the contested throne of modern verse, amuse, herself unknown, Sues that her tears may consecrate the strains poured o'er the urn enriched with White's remains. While touched to transport, taste's responding tone makes the rapt poet's ecstasies thine own. Ah! Think that he, whose hand supremely skilled, the heart's fine chords with deep vibration thrilled, in stagnant silence and petrific gloom, unconscious sleeps, the tenant of the tomb. Extinct that spirit, whose strong bidding drew from fancy's confines wonder's wild-eyed crew 
which bade despair's terrific phantoms pass like Macbeth's monarchs in the mystic glass. Before the youthful bard's impassioned eye, like him, led on, to triumph and to die, like him, by mighty magic compassed round, and seeking scepters on enchanted ground. Such spells invest, such blare illusion waits the traveler bound for fame's receding gates, delusive splendors gild the proud abode, but lurking demons haunt th alluring road, their gaunt-eyed wand asserts her iron reign, there, as in vengeance of the world's disdain, this half-fleshed hag midst wit's bright blossom stalks, and breathing winter, withers where she walks, though there, long outlawed, desperate with disgrace. Invidious dullness wields the critic mace, and sworn in hate, exerts. His ruffian might where a young genius meditates his flight. Erewhile, when white by this fell fiend oppressed, felt hope's fine fervors languish in his breast, when shrunk with scorn, and trembling to aspire, he dropped desponding his insulted lyre. Alert in zeal, with art benign dude, Saudi. Thy hand his blasted strength renewed, and lured him on, his labor scarce begun, to win those laurels which thyself had won. In vain, though vivified with pristine force, o'er learning's realms he shot with meteor course, to earth relentless, fate's despotic frown scowled in the bright perspective of renown, timeless he falls, in death's pale triumph fled, and his first laurels shade his grassy bed. So sinks the muse's offspring, doomed to try, like a caged eagle panting toward the sky, a foiled ascent, while adverse fortune flings her strong linked meshes o'er his fluttering wings, sinks, while exalted ignorance supine, unheeded slumbers like the pampered swine, obsequious slaves in his voluptuous bowers young pleasures warble, while the dancing hours and sickly sweetness languishingly move. Like new-waked virgins flushed with dreams of love, him, when by death's dark angels swept away. From sloth's embrace, in premature decay, surviving friends, donationed into grief, shall mourn with anguish audible and brief, and pander bards ring round and goodly chime his liberal heart, high wit, and soul sublime. But flattery's frauds and partial time disowns, funereal pomp, and adulative tones, slow where she moves through monumental aisles, with stern contempt insulted reason smiles, while falsehood, shrined above th emblazoned palls, shame sanctity from consecrated walls, she seeks. With pensive step and saintly eyes, some lonely grave, where rude the grass tufts rise, nor sculptured angels tell, nor chiseled lines, their slumbers chatterton. Here white reclines. But nobler triumphs white's probation claims than ever blazoned with recorded names. For virtue's sons, to bliss immortal born, tower to their native heaven, and view with scorn the vain distinction of the trophied sod, tis theirs to gain distinction with their god. The state's secret. An impromptu. Murder will out, and so will truth sometimes, for once I'll prove it in a dozen lines dot. At one of those parties where Julia's sweet face added interest to beauty, and archness to grace, where many fine folks met, and one very great, proud and stupid, an embryo minister sate, like a damper he came to put good humor out, and it chanced that, as Julia's pet bird flew about, it presumptuously lit on this mighty man's head, when her lore-laughing sister, sweet Eleanor, said, Naughty bird! I must cage you for being so rude on Lord Head O! How dare you intrude? Let it rest, replied Julia, with an exquisite grace. Don't frighten it off, for it likes a soft place. The morning call. To the honorable lady. 
written and left on her table during her absence, bathing. I dare not look at those dear eyes, the sun was never half so bright, there surely more of rapture lies than ever blessed a mortal's sight. In thy sweet face I see impressed ten thousand thousand charms divine, the sunbeams of thy guileless breasts like heaven's eternal mercies shine. Angel of love, life's endless joy, our hope at morn, our evening prayer, the bliss above would have alloy, unless, dear, thou wert there. Oh, woman, what a charm hast thou our rebel nature thus to tame, we ever must adore and bow, while virtue guards thy holy fame. Worthing. Sonnet. On the death of Toussaint Louverture. His weary warfare done, his woes forgot, freedom. Thy son, oppressed so long, is free. He seeks the realms where tyranny is not, and those shall hail him who have died for thee. Immortal tell. Receive a soul like thine, who scorned obedience to usurped command, who rose a giant from a sphere in dying, to tear the rod from proud oppression's hand. Alas! No victories ends on his brow, but freedom long his hapless fate shall mourn. Her holy tears shall nurse the laurel bough, whose green leaves grace his consecrated urn. Nursed by these tears, that bough shall rise sublime, and bloom triumphant mid the wrecks of time. On the Rupture of the Thames Tunnel Written July 2, 1827 Every poor quidnunc now condemns the tunnel underneath old Thames, and swears, his science all forgetting, friend Brunel's judgment wanted wedding. Tis thus great characters are dished, when they get wetter than was wished, Brunel to Gravesend meant to go under the water, wags say so, and under that same water put his hopes to find a shorter cut, but when we leave the light of day. Water hath many a devious way, which, like a naughty woman, leads the best of men to strange misdeeds, had nearly, twas a toss-up weather, gone to his grave and end together. How the performance went amidst the classical account is this. The naiads, Thames stream that swim in, being curious, just like mortal women, dear souls. Tis said, midst all their cares, they love to peep at man's affairs, and wondering at the workman's hammers, the noise of axes, engines, rammers, thought twould be well, nor meant the fun ill, to make an opening through the tunnel, just to see how the work went on, and then, down dashed they, every one. When these same bells began to dire, twas well the workmen scaped alive, Brunel, indeed, who knew full well the nature of a diving bell. Remained some time, nor made wry faces, within. Their aqueous embraces, nay, fierce and ungallant, adventured to oust them by the breach they entered. Vain man! Twas well that he could swim, or, certes, they had ousted him. Speed on great projects. Though we rate him rash, for alluvial pomatum, and under that a sandy stratum, will offer at a little distance an insurmountable resistance. How strange! To find the labor done just as the sand begins to run. In general human projects drop, just when our sand begins to stop. Anacreontic. The wisest men are fools in wine. The wisest men are fools in wine. Experience makes us think. Its magic spells are so divine. We reason, yet we drink. How short's the longest life of man. How soon its brightest laurels fade then. As our life is but a span, let all its hours be joyous made. Wine o'er the ardent restless mind entwines its poppy chain. A solace, then, the wretched find. In fictions of the brain. Oh, as the charmed glass we sip, we conquer care and pain. It was like woman's dewy lip, to kiss, and come again. 
This song has been admirably set to music, and sung with great success by Mr. Henry Phillips. It is published by Mori and Lavenue, 28, New Bond Street. Lines written in Hornsey Wood. Oh, ye who pine, in London smoke immured, with spirits wearied, and with pains uncured, with all the catalogue of city evils, colds, asthmas, rheumatism, coughs, blue devils, who bid each bold empiric roll in wealth, who drains your fortunes while he saps your health, so well ye love your dirty streets and lanes, ye court your ailments and embrace your pains. And scarce ye know, so little have ye seen, if corn be yellow, or if grass be green, why leave ye not your smoke-obstructed holes, with wholesome air to cheer your sickly souls? In scenes where health's bright goddess wakes the breeze, floats on the stream, and fans the whispering trees, soon would the brightened eye her influence speak, and her full roses flush the faded cheek. Then, where romantic Hornsey courts the eye with all the charms of sylvan scenery, let the pale sons of diligence repair, and pause, like me, from sedentary care. Here the rich landscape spreads profusely wide, and here embowering shades the prospect hide. Each mazy walk in wild meanders moves, and infant oaks, luxuriant, grace the groves. Oaks, that by time matured, removed afar, shall ride triumphant, midst the watery war. Shall blast the bulwarks of Britannia's foes, and claim her empire. Wide as ocean flows. O'er all the scene, mellifluous and bland, the blissful powers of harmony expand. Soft sigh the zephyrs mid the still retreats and steal from Flora's lips ambrosial sweets. Their notes of love the feathered songsters sing, and Cupid peeps behind the vest of spring. Ye swains, who ne'er obtained with all your sighs one tender look from Chloe's sparkling eyes, in shades like these her cruelty assail, here, whisper soft your amatory tale. The scene to sympathy the maid shall move, and smiles propitious crown your slighted love. While the fresh air with fragrant summer fills, and lifts her voice, her jocund o'er the hills, all jubilant the waving woods display her gorgeous gifts, magnificently gay. The wondering eye beholds these waving woods reflected bright in artificial floods, and still, the tufts of clustering shrubs between, like passing sprites, the nymphs and swains are seen, till fancy triumphs in th exulting breast, and care shrinks back, astonished, dispossessed. For all breathes rapture, all enchantment seems, like fairy visions, and poetic dreams. Though on such scenes the fancy loves to dwell, the stomach oft a different tale will tell. Then, leave the wood, and seat the sheltering roof, and put the pantry's vital strength to proof. The aerial banquets of the tuneful nine may suit some appetites, but faith, not mine, for my coarse palate coarser food must please substantial beef, pies, puddings, ducks, and peas. Such food the fangs of keen disease defies, and such rare feeding Hornsey House supplies, nor these alone the joys that court us here. Wine, generous wine, that drowns corroding care, asserts its empire in the glittering bowl, and pours Promethean vigor o'er the soul. Here, too, that bluff John Bull, whose blood boils high at such base wares of foreign luxury, who scorns to revel in imported cheer, who prides in parry, and exults in beer, on these his surly virtue shall regale, with quickening sitter, and with fattening ale. Nor think ye fair. Our Hornsey has denied the elegant repasts where you preside. Here, may the heart rejoice, expanding free in all the social luxury of tea, whose essence pure inspires such charming chat, 
with nods, and winks, and whispers, and all that, here then, while rapt inspired, like Horace old, we chant convivial hymns to Bacchus bold, or heave the incense of unconscious sighs, to catch the grace that beams from beauty's eyes, or, in the winding wilds, sequestered deep, th unwilling muse invoking, fall asleep, or cursing her, and her ungranted smiles. Chase butterflies along the echoing aisles, how employed, here be the town forgot, where fogs, and smoke, and jostling crowds are not. To Mary, written at midnight. Oh, is there not an infant's smiles a witching power, a cheering ray, a charm, that every care beguiles, and bids the weary soul be gay? There surely is, for thou hast been, child of my heart, my peaceful dove, gladdening life's sad and checkered scene, an emblem of the peace above. Now all is calm, and dark, and still, and bright the beam the moonlight throws on ocean wave, and gentle rill, and on thy slumbering cheek of rose. And may no care disturb that breast, nor sorrow dim that brow serene, and may thy latest years be blessed as thy sweet infancy has been. Black eyes and blue. From the Italian. Blue eyes and jet fell out one morn, azure cried in a pet. Away, dark scorn! We are brilliant and blue, as the waves of the sea, and as cold and untrue, and as changeable ye. We are born of the sky, of a summer night, when the first stars lie, in a bed of blue light, from the cloudy zone, round the setting sun, like an angel's throne, are our glories won. Pretty ladies, hold, Cupid said to the eyes, for beauties that scold, are seldom wise, tis not color I seek. Love's fires to impart. Give me eyes that can speak. From the depths of the heart. Epigram. Ori sacra fames. I knew a being once. His peaked head with a few lank and greasy hairs was spread. His visage blue. And length was like your own seen in the convex of a tablespoon. His mouth, or rather gash athwart his face. To stop at either ear had just a grace. A hideous rift. His teeth were all canine and just like death's, in Milton, was his grin. One shilling, and one fourteen-penny leg, this shorter was than that, and not so big, he had, and they, when meeting at his knees, an angle formed of ninety-eight degrees. Nature, in scheming how his back to vary, a hint had taken from the dromedary, his eyes and inward, screwing vision through, striving each other through his nose to view. His intellect was just one ray above the idiot Simon's ere he fell in love. At school they Terexippus, one, called the white, the misses, when they met him, shrieked with fright. But spite of all that nature had denied, when sudden fortune made the cub her pride, and gave him twenty thousand pounds a year then, from the pretty misses you might hear. His face was not the finest, and indeed, he was a little, they must own, in need. His shoulders, certainly, were rather high, but then, he had a most expressive eye nor were their hearts by outward charms inclined, give them the higher beauties of the mind. Footnote 1, Greek, Terexippus, a Grecian deity, the god of the Hippodrome, literally, in English, Horse Fridina. Sonnet. To Faith. Hail. Holy Faith, on life's wide ocean tossed, I see thee sit calm in thy beaten bark, as Noah sat, throned in his high-born ark, secure and fearless while a world was lost. In vain contending storms thy head end zone, thy bosom shrinks not from the bolt that falls, the dreadful shaft plays harmless, nor appalls thy steadfast eye, fixed on Jehovah's throne. 
e'en though thou saw'st the mighty fabric nod of systemed worlds, thou hear'st the sacred charm graved on thy heart to shelter thee from harm. And thus it speaks, Thou art my trust, O God! And thou canst bid the jarring powers be still, each ponderous orb, subservient to thy will. On a spirited portrait in my album of a favorite deerhound belonging to Sir Walter Scott by my friend, Edwin Landseer, Yescue, who in this sketchy wonder does not trace the fire, the spirit, and the living grace that mark the hand of genius and of taste. Who does not recognize in such a head truth, vigilance, fidelity, inbred, sagacity that's human, and a waste of those high qualities, and virtues rare, which poor humanity has not to spare? Then, faithful hound, thy happy lot is cast in pleasant places, and thy life has passed in the dear service of a master, whom the world's concurrent voice has yielded now the meed of highest praise, and on whose brow th imperishable wreath of fame shall bloom. Nor is this fate less happy than the rest, that he should paint thee, who can paint thee best. Sonnet. To hope. How droops the wretch whom adverse fates pursue, while sad experience, from his aching sight sweeps the fair prospects of unproved delight, which flattering friends and flattering fancies drew. When want assails his solitary shed, when dire distraction's horrent eyeball glares, seen midst the myriad of tumultuous cares, that shower their shafts on his devoted head. Then, ere despair usurp his vanquished heart, is there a power, whose influence benign can bid his head in pillowed peace recline, and from his breast withdraw the barbed dart? There is sweet hope. Misfortune rests on thee, unswerving anchor of humanity. Lines written on the 6th of September. Ill-fated hour. Oft as thy annual rain leads on th autumnal tide, my pinion joys fade with the glories of the fading year. Remembrance wakes, with all her busy train, and bids affection heave the heart-drawn sigh o'er the cold tomb, rich with the spoils of death, and wet with many a tributary tear. Eight times has each successive season swayed the fruitful scepter of our milder climes since my loved, died. But why, ah, uh, why should melancholy cloud my early years? Religion spurns earth's visionary scene, philosophy revolts at misery's chain, just heaven recalled its own. The pilgrim called from human woes, from sorrow's rankling worm, shall frailty then prevail? Oh, be it mine to curb the sigh which bursts o'er heaven's decree, to tread the path of rectitude, that when life's dying ray shall glimmer in the frame, that latest breath I may in peace resign. Firm in the faith of seeing thee in God. Sonnet. To Charity. Oh, best beloved of heaven, on earth bestowed, to raise the pilgrim sunk with ghastly fears, to cool his burning wounds, to wipe his tears, and strew with amaranths his thorny road. Alas, how long has superstition hurled thine altars down, thine attributes reviled, the hearts of men with witchcraft's foul beguiled, and spread his empire o'er the vassal world? But truth returns. She spreads resistless day, and mark, the monster's cloud-wrapped fabric falls, he shrinks, he trembles mid his inmost halls, and all his damned illusions melt away. The charm dissolved, immortal, fair, and free, thy holy fanes shall rise, celestial charity. Him, Sung by the children of the city of London's school of instruction and industry. Chorus. Sacred, and hard deep be the sound which speaks the great Redeemer's praise, his mercies everywhere abound 
let all their grateful voices raise. Boys, the friendless child, to manhood grown, will ne'er forget your parent care. You've made each youthful heart your own, oh, then accept our humble prayer. Girls, forever be that bounty praised, which every comfort doth impart. In tears of joy the song is raised from minstrels of the glowing heart. Chorus. Glory to thee, all bounteous power. In notes of thankfulness be given, sure solace in affliction's hour. Our hope on earth, our bliss in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Reflections of a poet on going to a great dinner. Great epoch in the history of bards. Important day to those who woo the nine. Better than fame are visitation cards, and heaven on earth at a great house to dine. O oh, cruel memory! Do not conjure up the ghost of Sally Dab, the famous cook, who gave me solid food, the cheering cup, and on her virtues begged I'd write a book. For her dear sake I braved the lettered fates, and all her loose thoughts in one volume crammed. The accomplished cook, in verse, with twenty plates. Which, oh, ungrateful deed, the critics D, 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 and them, I say, the tasteless envious elves. Malicious fancy makes them so expert, they write bout dinners, who ne'er dine themselves, and boast of linen, who ne'er had a shirt. Rest, goddess, from all broils. I bless thy name, dear kitchen nymph, as ever eyes did glut on. I'd give thee all I have, my slice of fame, if thou, fat shade, couldst give one slice of mutton. Yet hold, ten minutes more, and I am blessed. Fly quick, ye seconds, quick, ye moments, fly, soon shall I put my hunger to the test, and all the host of miseries defy. Thrice is he armed, who hath his dinner first, for well-fed valor always fights the best, and though he may of overeating burst, his life is happy, and his death is just. Today I dine, not on my usual fare, not near the sacred mount with skinny nine, not in the park upon a dish of air, but on true eatables and rosy wine. Delightful task! To cram the hungry maw, to teach the empty stomach how to fill, to pour red porter down the parched craw, without that dread dessert, to pay the bill. I'm off, methinks I smell the long-lost savor, hail, platter sound, to poet music sweet, now grant me, Jove, if not too great a favor, once in my life as much as I can eat. Sunday. Come, thou blessed day of rest. Soother of the tortured breast, wearied soul's release from toil, life's eternal sad turmoil. How I love thy tuneful bells which a welcome story tells. Bids the wanderer rest and pray on this peaceful holy day. All creation seems to pause. Man, uncatechized by laws, looks to God with grateful eyes. In such blessed sympathies, all his rebel nature dies. See the monster crime hath made, resting from his restless trade, unfit to live, afraid to die, hear his deep unconscious sigh, see his former horrid mien, change to the bright, serene, view him on his Bible rest, care no longer gnaws his breast, heaven, in mercy, let him live, religion, such the peace you give, a night storm, let this rough fragment lend its mossy seat, let contemplation hail this lone retreat, come, meek-eyed goddess, through the midnight gloom, born of the silent awe which robes the tomb, this gothic front, this antiquated pile, the bleak wind howling through each mazy aisle, its high gray towers, faint peeping through the shade, shall hail thy presence, consecrated maid. Whether beneath some vaulted abbey's dome, 
where every footstep sounds in every tomb, where superstition, from the marble stone, gives every sound, a pilgrim spirit's groan, pensive thou readest by the moon's full glare the sculptured children of affection's tear, or in the churchyard lone thou sits to weep o'er some sad wreck, beneath the tufty heap, perchance some victim to seduction's spell, who yielded, wept, and then neglected fell. But hither come, on yon swole march to gaze, and do the vivid flash eruptive blare, light those high walls with transitory gleam, bloom the air, and sparkle in the stream. Ah, look, where yonder tempest-shaken cloud, awful and black as the Cassian shroud, breaks, like the waves which lash the sandy shore, and speaks its mission in a feeble row. Thus meditation hears. Aspiring height! Of old, the splendid mansions of the great, thy fate, tremendous, lures upon the blast, and waits to write on thy remains, tis past. Oft have the genii of the hoary blade around thy walls their hellborn demons led, yet hast thou triumphed o'er each monster's car, and braved the ills of pestilential war, oft hast thou seen the circling seasons roll in fond succession round thy native pole, defied the hoary matron of the ring, and seen her sicken in the lap of spring. But, ah, no more thy time-clad head shall rise to dare the tempest, while it shakes the skies, nor one small wreck invade the fair concave, nor shout above its crumbling basis, save when rising zephyr from thy ruin brings a world of atoms on its fairy wings. Din horrible, as though the rebel train had sprung from chaos, fought, and fallen again, raves the high bolt, how yon old structure fell, how every cranny trembled with the yell of fried dowels, whose secret haunts forlorn were from their kindred vaults and windings torn of bold antiquity's rough pencil born. Thrice fancy leads the dismal echo round, and paints the spectre gliding o'er the ground. From every turret, every vanquished tower, in heaps confuse the broken fragments pour, and, as they plunge toward the pebbly grave, like wizard wand, draw circles in the wave. Mean ring stream, thy liquid jaws extend, anoint with lethe now thy fallen friend. Again the heralds of the thunder fly, in forky squadrons, from the trembling sky. Again the thunder its harsh menace swells, and light-winged echoes hail the humbled cells. Weep, weep, ye clouds, with heave and bespangled tears, and ah, if pity rules your sacred spheres, invoke the thunder to withstay its rage, disarm its fury, and its wrathless wage. But now Aurora, from the ocean's verge, trims her gray lamp, to light the mournful dirge. She comes, to light the ruinated heap, but lights to wake the pensive soul to weep on the death of Nelson. Swift through the land while fame transported flies and shouts triumphant shake th illumined skies. Britannia, bending o'er her dauntless prows, with laurels thickening round her blazoned brows, in joy dejected, sees her triumph crossed, exults in victory won, but mourns the victor lost. Immortal Nelson, still with fond amaze thy glorious deed each British eye surveys. Beholds thee still, unconquered floods afar, fate's flaming shaft, the thunderbolt of war. Hurled from thy hands, Britannia's vengeance roars, and bloody billows stain the hostile shores. Thy sacred ire confederate kingdoms braves, and whelms their navies in sepulchral waves. Graced with each attribute which heaven supplies to godlike chiefs, humane, intrepid, wise, his nation's bulwark, and all nature's pride, the hero lived, and as he lived, he died, transcendent destiny. How blessed the brave, 
whose fall his country's tears attend, showered on his trophied grave. The blue-eyed maid. Sweet are the hours when roseate spring with health and joy salutes the day. When Zephyr, born on wanton wing, soft whispering, wakes the blushing May. Sweet are the hours, yet not so sweet as when my blue-eyed maid I meet, and hear her soul entrancing tale, sequestered in the shadowy veil. The mellow horn's long echoing notes, startle the morn, commingling strong. At eve, the harp's wild music floats, and ravished silence drinks the song. Yet sweeter is the song of love, when Emma's voice enchants the grove, while listening sylphs repeat the tale, sequestered in the silent veil. Taking Orders A tale, founded on fact. A parson once, and poorer he than ever parson ought to be, yet not so proud as some from college, who fancy they alone have knowledge, who only learn to dress and drink, and, strange to say, still seem to think that no real talents to be found except within their classic ground. Yet prove that cams nor oxon's plains can't furnish empty skulls with brains. But for my tale, our churchman came, and in religion's honored name, sought cams' delightful classic borders, to be preferred to holy orders. Chance led him to the traveler's inn, where living's cheap, and often women livens many a weary soul, and helps, in the o'erflowing bowl, in spite of fogs, and threatening weather, to drown both grief and gloom together. Oh, wit! Thou art he like a little blue, soft cloud, in summer breaking through a frowning one, and lighting it till darkness for death bit by bit, and when to thee is near allied, and follows closely at thy side, so oft, oh, wit, I'm told that she by some folks is mistaken for thee, yet I may say unto my eyes, just whereabouts the difference lies, one's diamond quite, and to my taste, the other is but dovey's paste. He there a ready welcome found from one who traveled England round, Sir, you're obedient, quite alone. I'm truly happy you are come, pray, sir, be seated, business dull, or else this room had now been full, orders and cash are strangers here, and everything looks devilish queer, bad times these, sir, sad lack of wealth, must hope for better, sir, your health, then added, with inquiring face, come to take orders in this place? Yes, sir, I am, replied the priest, with that intent I came at least. Ha! Ha! I knew it very well. We businessmen can others tell, often before I've seen your face, though memory can't recall the place. Ah! Now I have it. Head of mine! You travel in the button line? Begging your pardon, sir. I fear some error has arisen here. You have missed in my trade divine. But, sir, the worldly loss is mine. I travel in a much worse line. The Gypsy's Home. A Glee. Sung by Messrs. Pine, Nelson, Miss Witham, and Master Longhurst Dot, composed by Mr. Rook. We, who the wide world make our home, the barren heath our cheerful bed, careless o'er mount and moor we roam, and never tears of sorrow shed. But merrily, oh, merrily, oh, through this world of care we go. Love, that a palace left in tears, flew to our houseless feast of mirth, for here, unfettered beauty cheers, the heaven alone that's found on earth. Then merrily, oh, merrily, oh, through this world of care we go. Sonnet. The Beggar. Of late I saw him on his staff reclined, bowed down beneath a weary weight of woes, without a roof to shelter from the wind his head, all hoar with many a winter's snows. All trembling he approached, he strove to speak, 
the voice of misery scarce my ear assailed. A flood of sorrow swept his furrowed cheek, remembrance checked him, and his utterance failed. For he had known full many a better day, and when the poor man at his threshold bent, he drove him not with aching heart away, but freely shared what providence had sent. How hard for him, the stranger's boon to crave, and lived to want the might his bounty gave. 2. Come, Jenny, let me sip the dew that on those coral lips doth play, one kiss would every care subdue, and bid my weary soul be gay. For surely thou wert formed by love to bless the sufferer's parting sigh, in pity then my griefs remove, and on that bosom let me die. Song. The Recall of the Hero. When discord blew her fell alarm on Gallia's blood-stained ground, when usurpation's giant arm enslaved the nations round, the thunders of avenging heaven to Nelson's chosen hand were given. By Nelson's chosen hand were hurled, to rescue the devoted world. The tyrant power, his vengeance dread to Egypt's shores pursued, at Trafalgar its hydra head forever sunk subdued. The freedom of mankind was won. The hero's glorious task was done. When heaven, oppression's ensigns furled, recalled him from the rescued world. To Eliza. Written in her album. I dare not spoil this spotless page with any feeble verse of mine. The poet's fire has lost its rage. Around his lyre no myrtles twine. The voice of fame cannot recall those fairy days of past delight, when pleasure seemed to welcome all, and morning hailed a welcome night. E'en love has lost its soothing power, its spells no more can chain my soul. I must not venture in the bower, where wit and verse and wine control. And yet I fear, in thoughtless mirth I once did say, Eliza, dear, that I would tell the world thy worth, and write the living record here. Come, love, and truth, and friendship, come, enwreathed in virtue's snowy arms, with magic rhymes the page illume, and fancy sketch her very charms, which o'er the cares of home has thrown a thousand blessings, deep engraved, for every heart she makes her own, and every friend is free enslaved. No inspiration o'er my pen glows with the lightning's vivid spell. My soul is sad. Forgive me then, my heart's too full the tale to tell. Yet, if the humblest poet's theme be welcome in Eliza's name, then, angel, give the cheering gleam, for thy approving smile is fame. Elegy On the Death of Abraham Goldsmith Yescue When stern misfortune, monitress severe, dissolves prosperity's enchanting dreams, and chase from man's probationary sphere, fair hope withdraws her vivifying beams. If then, untaught to bend at heaven's high will, the desperate mortal dares the dread unknown, to future fate appeals from present ill, and stands, uncalled, before th eternal throne. Shall justice there immutably decide? Dread thought, which reason trembles to explore, she feels, be mercy granted or denied, tis hers in dumb submission to adore. Yet, could the self-doomed victim be forgiven his final error, for his merits past, could virtuous life, propitiating heaven with former deeds, extenuate the last. Then gold's mid. Mercy, to thy humble shrine, angel of heaven beloved, should wing her flight, should in her bosom bid thy head recline, and waft thee onward to the realms of light. And, oh, could human intercession plead, breathe ardent ards that undiscovered shore, what hearts unnumbered for thy fate that bleed, would warm oblations for thy pardon poor. Misfortune's various tribes thy worth should tell, whose acts to no peculiar sect confined, and partial, with expansive bounty fell, 
like heaven's refreshing dews on all mankind. Where stern disease his rankling arrows sped, while want, with hard inexorable band, strewed keener thorns on pain's afflictive bed, and urged the flight of life's diminished sand. By hostile stars oppressed, where talent toiled, encountering fate with perseverance vain, the merchant's hopes, when war's dire arm despoiled, or tempests whelmed in the remorseless main. Gold's mid. Thy hand benign assuagement spread, sustained pale sickness, drooping o'er the tomb, raised modest merit from his lowly shed, and gave misfortune's blasted hopes to bloom. Yet wealth, too oft perverted from its end, suspends the noblest functions of the soul, where, chilled as apathy's cold frosts, extends, compassion's sacred stream forgets to roll. And oft, where seeming pity moves the mind, from self's mean source the liberal current flows, while ostentation, insolently kind, wounds while he soothes, insults while he bestows. But thy free bounty, undebased by pride, prompt to anticipate the meek request, unasked the wants of modest worth supplied, and spared the pang that shook the suppliant's breast. Yet say, on fortune's orb, which o'er thy head blazed forth ere while preeminently bright, when dark adversity her eclipse spread, and veiled its splendors in petrific night, did those thy benefits had placed on high, who reveled still in wealth's meridian ray, did those impatient to thy succor fly, anxious the debt of gratitude to pay? Or thy fallen fortunes coldly whispering round, scowled they aloof in that disastrous hour? On keen misfortune's agonizing wound did foul ingratitude her poisons pour? If thy distress such aggravation knew, thy first reverse could such perdition wait, well might despair thy generous heart subdue and desperation closed the scene of fate. Yet while distraction urged her purpose dire, rose not, at nature's interposed command, the sacred claims of brother, husband, sire, to win the weapon from thy lifted hand? Ah, yes! And ere that agony was o'er, ere yet thy soul its last resolve embraced, what pangs could equal those thy breast that tore, thy breast with nature's tenderest feelings graced? Those only which, at thy accomplished fate, that home displayed, thy smiles were wont to bless. That dreadful scene, what language can relate? What words describe that exquisite distress? The muse recedes. In grief's domestic scene, th intrusive gaze propanes the tears that flow, drop, pity. There thy hallowed veil between, guard, silence. There the sacredness of woe. Nor let the sectorist, whose faith austere pretends alone to point th eternal road, proud of his creed, Pronounce with voice severe, all else excluded from the blessed abode. If error thine, not gold's mid, thine the fault, since first thy infant years instruction drew, from youth's gradations up to manhood taught that faith to reverence which thy fathers knew. In retribution's last tremendous hour, when its pale captives, long in dust declined, the grave shall yield, and time shall death devour, when he who saved shall come to judge mankind while Christian infidels shall tremble round, who called him master, whom their acts denied, imputed faith may in thy deeds be found, and thy eternal doom those deeds decide. Sonnet On the Death of Mrs. Charlotte Smith Sweet songstress, whom the melancholy muse with more than fondness loved, for thee she strung the lyre, on which herself enraptured hung, and bade thee through the world its sweets diffuse. Oft hath my childhood's tributary tear paid homage to the sad harmonious strain, that told, alas, 
too true, the grief and pain which thy afflicted mind was doomed to bear. Rest, sainted spirit, from a life of woe, and though no friendly hand on thee bestowed the stately marble, or emblazoned name, to tell a thoughtless world who sleeps below, yet o'er thy narrow bed a wreath shall blow. Deriving vigor from the breath of fame, Mr. Punch, a hasty sketch. Who stops the minister of state, when hurrying to the Lord's debate? Who, spite of gravity, beguiles the solemn bishop of his smiles? See from the window. Burly big. The judge pops out his awful wig, yet seems to love a bit of gig, while both the sheriffs and the mayor forget the address, and stop to stare, and who detains the husband true, running to Dr. Dudu, to save his wife, in greatest danger, while e'en the doctor keeps the stranger another hour from life and light, to gape at the bewitching sight. The bard, in debt, whom bailiff's ferret, despite his poetry and merit, stops in his quick retreat a while, and tries the long-forgotten smile, e'en the pursuing bum forgets his business, and the man of debts, the one neglecting, caption, bail, the other. Thoughts of jibes and jail. So wondrous are the spells that bind the noble and ignoble mind. The pavior halts in midgrunt, stands with rammer in his idle hands, and quite refined, and at his ease, forgetting onions, bread, and cheese, the hungry drayman leaves his lunch, to take a peep at Mr. Punch. Delightful thy effects to see, thou charm of age and infancy. The old man clears his roomy eye, the six-months babe forgets to cry, no passers-by, all fondly gloat, so welcome is thy cheering note, which time nor taste has ever changed, and after every climb we've ranged, return to thee, our childhood's joy, and spite of age still play the boy. Yon pious thing who walks by rule, unconscious laughs, and plays the fool, and by his side the prim old maid looks, welcome fun, and, who's afraid? Behold, that happy ruddy face, in which there seems no vacant place, that could another joy impart, for one laugh more would break his heart. And, lo, behind, his sober brother, striving in vain the laugh to smother. That giggling girl must burst outright, for Punch has now possessed her quite. While she, who ran to chemist's shop for life or death, here finds a stop, forgets for whom, for what, she ran, and leaves to heaven the bleeding man. The parish beetle, gilded calf, lays by his terror, joins the laugh, permits poor souls, without offense, to sell their fruit and count their pence, and, as by humor grown insane, allows the boys to touch his cane. Poor little sweep true comfort quaffs, ceases to cry, and loudly laughs. See, what a wondrous powerful spell punch holds o'er dustman and his bell, and scolding wife with clapper still, the landlord quits a while his till while potboy, busiest of the bunch, steals pence for self and beer for punch. Look at that window, you may trace at every pane a laughing face. Yon graceful girl and her smart lover, and in the story just above her, the housemaid, with her hair and papers, all finding punch a cure for vapors. E'en the pale dandy, fresh from France, throws on the group an eye askance, twirls his mustache, and seems to fear that some gay friend may catch him here. The widowed wretch, who only fed on bitter thoughts and tear-washed bread, forgets her cares, and seems to smile to see friend punch her babe beguile. Magician of the wounded heart, oh, there thy wanted aid impart, long be the merriment of our isle, and win the universal smile. Content.
In some lone hamlet it were better far to live unknown amid contentment's isle, than court the bauble of an air-blown star, or barter honor for a prince's smile. Hail! Tranquil-browed content, forth sylvan god, who loves to sit beside some cottage fire, where the brown presence of the blazing cloud regales the aspect of the aged sire. There, when the winter's children, bleak and cold, are through December's gloomy regions led, the churchyard tale of sheeted ghosts is told, while fixed attention dares not turn its head. Or if the tale of ghost or pygmy sprite is stripped by theme more cheerful of its power, the song employs the early dim of night, till village curfew counts a later hour. And oft the welcome neighbor loves to stop, to tell the market news, to laugh, and sing, o'er the loved circling jug, whose old brown top is wet with kisses from the florid ring. There, whilst the cricket chirps its chimney song, within some crumbling chink, with moss embrowned, the lighted stick diverts the infant throng, and fans are waved, and rib bands twirled around. Entwine for me the wreath of rural mirth, and blast the murmuring fiend, from chaos sent, then, while the house-dog snores upon the hearth, I'll sit, and hail thy sacred name, content. Epitaph. On Matilda. Sacred to pity. Is upraised this stone, the humble tribute of a friend unknown, to grant the beauteous wreck its hallowed claim, and add to misery's scroll another name. Poor lost Matilda. Now in silence laid within the early grave thy sorrows made. Sleep on. His heart still holds thy image dear, who viewed through life thy errors with a tear who ne'er with stoic apathy repressed the heartfelt sigh for loveliness distressed. That sigh for thee shall ne'er forget to heave, tis all he now can give, or thou receive. When last I saw thee in thy endy bloom, that promised health and joy for years to come, methought the lily nature proudly gave, would never wither in th untimely grave. Ah, sad reverse! Too soon the faded hour saw the dire tempest whelm th expanding flower. Then from thy tongue its music ceased to flow, thine eye forgot to gleam with aught but woe, peace fled thy breast, invincible despair usurped her seat, and struck his daggers there. Did not the unpitying world thy sorrows fly? And, ah, uh, what then was left thee, but to die? Yet not a friend beheld thy parting breath, or mingled solace with the pangs of death, no priest proclaimed the erring hour forgiven, or soothed thy spirit to its native heaven. But heaven, more bounteous, bade the pilgrim come, and hovering angels hailed their sister home. I, where the marble swells not, to rehearse thy hapless fate, inscribe my simple verse. Thy tale, dear shade, my heart essays to tell, accept its offering, while it heaves, farewell. 2. An impromptu. O Sue, you certainly have been a little raking, roguish creature, and in that face may still be seen each laughing love's bewitching feature. For thou hast stolen many a heart, and robbed the sweetness of the rose. Placed on that cheek, it doth impart more lovely tints, more fragrant blows. Yes, thou art nature's favorite child, arrayed in smiles, seducing, killing. Did Joseph live, you'd drive him wild, and set his very soul a-thrilling. A poet, much too poor to live, too poor in this rich world to rove, too poor for aught but verse to give, but not, thank God, too poor to love. Gives thee his little doggerel lay. One truth I tell, in sorrow tell it. I'm forced to give my verse away, because, alas, I cannot sell it. And should you with the critics I proclaim me gains to muse a sinner, reflect, dear girl, I that such as I, 
six times a week don't get a dinner. And want of comfort, food, and wine, will damp the genius, curb the spirit. These wants I'll own are often mine, but can't allow a want of merit. For every stupid dog that drinks at Poet's Pond, nicknamed Divine, say what he will, I know he thinks that all he writes is wondrous fine. The Steamboat Say, dark proud visitant, that o'er the brine stalks proudly, heeding not what wind may blow, what chart, what compass, shapes that course of thine, whence didst thou come, and whither dost thou go? Art thou a monster born of sky and sea? Art thou a pagan moving in thine ire? Were I a savage I must bend to thee, a giber? I must own thee, God of fire. The affrighted billows fly thy hissing rout, thy wake is followed by turmoil and din, blackness and darkness track thy course without, and fire and groans and vapors strive within. And they who cling about thee, who are they? And canst thou be that fabled boat, that waits on the dark banks of sticks for souls? Oh, say, let me not burst in ignorance, thy freight. Thus spake I, wandering near the brightened shore, straining my very eyeballs from my cap. First came two, ten horse, laughs, and then a roar. Be off, queer chap, or I'll soon stop your gab. Then swept she onward, breathing mist and cloud, while from my bosom this reflection broke. Although I think the steamboat something proud, such lofty questions often end in smoke. To all grandiloquence a hint I deem it, and whilst I live, I'll ever such esteem it. Sonnet. To Lydia on her birthday. Blessed be the hour that gave my Lydia birth, the day be sacred mid each varying year. How oft the name recalls thy spotless worth, and joys departed, still to memory dear. If matchless friendship, constancy, and love have power to charm, or one sad grief beguile, tis thine the gloom of sorrow to remove, and on the tearful cheek imprint a smile. May every after season to thee bring new joys, to cheer life's dark eventful way. Till time shall close thee in his ponderous wing, and angels waft thee to eternal day. Loved friend, farewell. Thy name this heart shall fill, till memory sinks, and all its griefs are still. To Sarah, while singing. Written at the cottage of T. Lewis, Yescu Woodbury Downs. In the retirement of this lovely spot, sacred to friendship, industry, and worth, to boundless hospitality and mirth, be ever peace and joy. All care forgot, save that which cares for a higher, holier, lot. And thou, sweet girl, whose lovely modest mien cheers the gay banquet with unconscious wiles, long mayest thou grace it with affection's smiles, the vocal siren of this sylvan scene, warbling thy sweetest notes midst flowers and woodlands green. Long be the social circle's grace and pride, of parents' hopes, the dearest and the best. The dove of promise to this ark of rest, who, when around the world's fierce billows ride, beareth the branch that speaks of the receding tide. July, 1827. To Thaddeus, 1. Farewell. Loved youth, for still I hold thee dear, though thou hast left me friendless and alone. Still, still thy name recalls the heartfelt tear that hastes Matilda to her wish for home. Why leave the wretch thy perfidy hath made to journey cheerless through the world's wide waste? Say, why so soon does all thy kindness fade, and doom me, thus, affliction's cup to taste? Ungenrous deed. To fly the faithful maid who, for thy arms, abandoned every friend. Oh! Cruel thought, that virtue, 
thus betrayed, should feel a pang that death alone can end. Yet I'll not chide thee, and when hence you roam, should my sad fate one tear of pity move, ah, then return. This bosom's still thy home, and all thy failings I'll repay with love. Believe me, dear, at midnight, or at morn, in vain exhausted nature strives to rest, thy absence plants my pillow with a thorn, and bids me hope no more, on earth, for rest. But if unkindly you refuse to hear, and from despair thy poor Matilda have, ah, don't deny one tributary tear, to glisten sweetly o'er my early grave. Matilda. Footnote 1. The above lines were written at the request of a lady, and meant to describe the feelings of one, who loved not wisely, but too well. Youth and age. I love the joyous thoughtless heart, the revels of the youthful mind, ere sad experience points the dart, which wounds so surely all mankind. It glads me when the buoyant soul, unconscious ranges, fancy free, draining the sweets of pleasure's bowl, and thinking all as blessed as he. Ah, me yet sad it is to know, the many griefs the future brings, that time must change that note to woe, which now its merry carol sings. This, summer of the mind, alas, must have its autumn, leafless, bare, when all these pleasing phantoms pass, and end in winter, age, and care. Such, such is life, the moral tells, the tempest, and its sunny smiles, a warning voice the cheerful bells, the knell of death, our youth beguiles. Sent for the album of the Rev. G. C. With the drawing of the head of an eminent artist. Dear sir, you remember, when Herod of Jury had given a ball, how a shocking old fury demanded, so bent was the vixen on slaughter. The head of St. John at the hand of her daughter, now do not detest me, nor hold me in dread, because, like King Herod, I send you a head, not a saint's, by the by, although taken from life, but a head of my friend, by the hand of my wife. Written under an elegant drawing of a dead canary bird. By Miss A.M. Turner daughter of the eminent engraver. Death to the very life. Not the closed eye, not those small paralytic limbs alone, but every feather tells so mournfully thy fate, and that thy little life has flown. Manhood forbids that I should weep, and yet sadness comes o'er my spirit, and I stand gazing intensely, and with mute regret turn from the wonder of the artist's hand. Exquisite artist! Could I praise thee more than by the silent admiration? No! And now I try to praise I must deplore how feeble is the verse that tells thee so. But thou art gaining for thyself a fame worthy thyself, thy sex, and thy dear father's name. Lines suggested by the death of the Princess Charlotte. Genius of England! Wherefore to the earth is thy plumed helm, thy peerless scepter cast? Thy courts of late with minstrelsy and mirth rang jubilant, and dazzling pageants passed. Kings, heroes, martial triumphs, nuptial rites. Now, like a cypress, shivered by the blast, or mountain cedar, which the lightning smites, in dust and darkness sinks thy head declined, thy tresses streaming wild on ocean's reckless wind. Art thou not glorious, in that night of storms, when he, in power's supremacy elate, Gaul's fierce usurper? Fulminating fate, the Goths' barbaric tyranny restored, and science, art, and all life's fairer forms, sunk to the dark dominion of the sword, didst thou not, champion of insulted man. Confront this stern destroyer in his pride? Didst thou not crush him in the battle shock, while recent victory shouted in his van, 
and shrunk the nations, shadowed by his stride? Yeah, chain him howling to yon desert rock, where, thronging ghastly from uncounted graves, his victims murmur midst the groans of waves, and mock his soul's despair, his deep blaspheming ban. Nor erst, in liberty's avenging day, when, launching lightnings in her wrath divine, she rose, and gave to never-dying fame, Platy, Marathon, Thermopylae, did each, did all, sublimer laurels twine round Grecia's conquering brows, than Waterloo on nine. Then, wherefore, Albion, terror-struck, subdued, sitst thou, thy state foregone, thy banner furled? What dire infliction shakes that fortitude, which propped the falling fortunes of the world? Hush! Hark! Portentous, like a withering spell from lips unblessed, strange sounds mine ear appall, now the dread omens more distinctly swell, that thrilling shriek from Claremont's royal hall, the death-note pealed from yon terrific bell, the deepening gale with lamentation swoln, these, Albion. These too eloquently tell that from her radiant sphere thy brightest star has fallen. And art thou gone, graced vision of an hour, daughter of monarchs, gem of England's crown, thou loveliest lily, fair imperial flower, in beauty's vernal bloom to dust gone down, gone when, dispersed each inauspicious cloud, in blissful sunshine gone thy hopes to glow, from pain's fierce grasp, no refuge, but the shroud, destined a mother's pangs, but not her joys, to know. Lost excellence! What harp shall hem thy worth, nor wrong the theme? Conspicuously in thee, beyond the blind preeminence of birth, shone nature in her own regality. Coerced, thy spirit smiled, sedate in pride, fixed as the pine, while circling storms contend. But when in life's serener duties tried, how sweetly did its gentle essence blend, all beauteous in the wife, the daughter, and the friend. Not lulled in lang hours, indolent and weak, nor winged by pleasure, fled thy early hours, but ceaseless vigils blanched thy virgin cheek, in silent studies dim sequestered bowers, propitious there, to thy admiring mind, with brow unveiled, consenting science came, their taste awoke her sympathies refined, their genius, kindling his ethereal flame, led thy young soul the muses' heights to dare, and mount on Milton's wing, and breathe imperial air. But chiefly, conscious of thy promised throne, intent to grace that destiny sublime, thou soughtst to make the historic page thine own, and win the treasures of recorded time, the forms of polity, the springs of power, exploring still with inexhausted zeal. Still, the pole star which led thy studious hour through thought's unfolding tracks, thy country's wheel. While fancy, radiant with unearthly charms, thus breathed the whisper wisdom sanctified. Eliza's, Anna's glories, arts, or arms, beneath thy sway shall blaze revivified, and still prolonged, and still augmenting, shine interminably bright in thy illustrious line. Tis past, thy name, with every charm it bore, melts on our souls, like music heard no more, the dying minstrel's last ecstatic strain, which mortal hand shall never wake again, but if, blessed spirit, in thy shrine of light, life's visions rise to thy celestial sight. If that bright sphere where raptured seraphs glow, permit communion with this world of woe, and soar, if thus our fond affections deem, hope mocks us not, for heaven inspires the dream, benignant shade. The beatific kiss that sealed thy welcome to the shores of bliss, no holier joy instilled, than then wilt feel if thine the task thy kindred's woes to heal, if hovering yet, with viewless ministry, 
in scenes which memory consecrates to thee, thou soothe with binding balm which grief endears, a sire's, a husband's, and a mother's tears, till pity's self expire, a nation's sighs, spontaneous incense, o'er thy tomb shall rise, and midst the dark vicissitudes that weight earth's balanced empires in the scales of fate, be thou our angel advocate the while, and gleam, a guardian saint, around thy native isle. The Presumptuous Fly Sung by Mr. Pinedot Composed by Mr. Rook Come away, come away, little fly. Don't disturb the sweet calm of Lore's nest. If you do, I protest you shall die, and your tomb be that beautiful breast. Don't tickle the girl in her sleep. Don't cause so much beauty to sigh. If she frown, half the graces will weep. If she weep, all the graces will die. Come away, little fly, and see. Now she wakes. Steal a kiss and be gone. Life is precious. Away, little fly. Should your rudeness provoke her to scorn, you'll meet death from the glance of her eye. Were I asked by fair Chloe to say how I felt, as the flutter I chid, I should own, as I drove it away, I wish to be there in its stead. Come away, little fly, and see. The Heroes of Waterloo. Address, written for a benefit, at a provincial theater, for the wounded survivors, families, and relatives, of the heroes of Waterloo. Once more Britannia she's her conquering sword, and peace returns by victory restored. Peace, that erewhile estranged, midst long alarms scarce welcomed home, was ravished from our arms. What time, fierce bounding from his broken chain, Gauls banished despot reaspired to reign, whilst at his call, prompt minions of his breath, round his dire throne rushed havoc, spoil, and death, with wanted pomp his baleful ensign blazed. And Europe shrunk, and shuddered as she gazed. Insulted liberty her toxin rung, again Britannia to the combat sprung, star of the nations. Her auspicious form led on their march, and foremost braved the storm. Pent in its clouds, ere yet the tempest flashed, ere peal on peal the mingling thunder crashed. While fate hung dubious o'er the marshaled powers, what anxious fears, what trembling hopes, were ours. For never yet from Gallia's confines came war's fell eruption with so fierce a flame. She sent a chief, matered in martial strife, who fought for fame, for empire, and for life, whose host had sworn, deep stung with recent shame, to satiate vengeance, and retrieve their fame. Each furious impulse, each hot throb, was there, that spurs ambition, or inflames despair. Then Britain fixed on her unconquered son, her eye, her hope, immortal Wellington. He, skilled to crash, with one collective blow sustained sedate the fierce assaulting foe. How stood his squadrons like the steadfast rock, frowning on ocean's ineffectual shock? Till forward summoned to the fierce attack, they give to Gaul his furious onset back. Swift on its prey each fiery legion springs, as when heaven's ire the volleyed lightning wings. Then Gallia's blood in expiation streamed, then trembling Europe saw her fate redeemed, and England, radiant in her triumph past, beheld them all transcended in the last. Yes, raptured Britons blessed the gale that blew the tidings home, the tale of Waterloo. But, oh, while joy tumultuous hailed the day, cold on the plain what gallant victims lay, deaf to the triumph of their sacred cause, deaf to their country's shout, the world's applause. Rear high the column, bid the marble breathe, pour soft the verse, and twine the laureate wreath. From year to year let musing memory shed her tenderest tears, to grace the glorious dead. 
tis ours with grateful ardor to sustain the wounded veteran on his bed of pain, to soothe the widow, sunk in anguish deep, whose orphan weeps to see its mother weep. Oh! When, outstretched on that triumphant field, the prostrate warrior felt his labors sealed, felt, midst the shout of victory pealing round, life's eddying stream fast welling from his wound, perchance affection bade her visions rise, wife, children, floated o'er his closing eyes, for them alone he heaved the bitter sigh, yet for his country glorying thus to die, to her bequeathed them with his parting breath, and sunk serene in unregretted death. To no cold ear was that appeal preferred, with glowing bosom grateful England heard, with liberal hand she pours the prompt relief, soothes the sick head, and wipes the tear of grief. Our humble efforts consecrate, tonight, to this great cause, our small but willing might. Bright are the wreaths the warriors earn which grace, and bless the bounty that protects his race. Thus warmed, thus wakened, with congenial fire, each hero's son shall emulate his sire. From age to age prolong the glorious line, and guard their country with a shield divine. The night blowing serious. Can it be true, so fragrant and so fair, to give thy perfumes to the dews of night? Cannot so beautiful, despise the glare, and fade, and sicken in the morning light? Yes. Peerless flower, the heavens alone exhale thy fragrance, while the glittering stars attest, and incense wafted by the midnight gale, untainted rises from thy spotless breast. How like that faith whose nature is apart from human gaze, to love and work unseen, which gives to God an undivided heart, in sorrow steadfast, and in joy serene, that night flower of the soul, whose fragrant power breathes on the darkness of the closing hour. 1827. Or, the poet's last poem. Ye bards in all your thousand dens, great souls with fewer pence than pens, sublime adorers of Apollo, with folios full, and purses hollow, whose very souls with rapture glisten, when you can find a fool to listen, who, if a debt were paid by pun, would never be completely done. Ye bright inhabitants of garrets, whose dreams are rich in ports and clarets, who, in your lofty paradise, see aldermanic banquets rise, and though the duns around you troop, still float in seas of turtle soup. I here forsake the tuneful trade, where none but lordlings now are paid, or where some northern rogue sits puling, the curse of universal schooling, a plowman to his country lost, an author to his printer's cost, a slave to every man who'll buy him, a knave to every man who'll try him, yet let him take the pen, at once the laurel gathers round his sconce. On every subject superseded, my favorite topics all invaded, I scarcely dip my pen in praise, when fifty bardlings grasp my bays, or let me touch a drop of satire, I once knew something of the matter, just fifty bardlings take the trouble, to be my tuneful worship's double. Fine similes that nothing fit, Joe Miller's, that must pass for wit, the dull, dry, brain-besieging jokes, the humor that no laugh provokes, the nameless, worthless, witless rancors, the rage that souls of scribblers cankers, administered in gall go thick, it makes even Sunday critics sick, disgust my passion, fill my place, and snatch my prize before my face. If then I take the brilliant, pen, and scorning measures, talk of men, their literal steps twixt me and fame, so like, egad, we're just the same, I never half squeeze out a thought, but jumps its fellow on the spot, my tenderest dreams, my fondest touch, are victims to his ready clutch, the whirling waltz, the gay costume, the porcelain tooth, 
the Gallic bloom, the vapid smiles, the lisping loves of turtles, never meant for doves, the dreary stuff that fills the ears, where all the orders are peers, the hides revealed, through ballroom dresses, where all the parties are peeresses, the dullness of the toujours guy, the yawning night, the sleepy day, the visages of cheese and chalk, the drowsy, dreamy, languid talk, the fifty other horrid things, that strip old time of both his wings. There's not a topic of them all but comes, hey presto, at his call. Or when I turn my pen to love, a theme that fits me like my glove, a pen I've borne these twenty years with ten times twenty several dears, each glance a dart, each smile a quiver, stinging their bard from lungs to liver, to work my ruin, or my cure, up starts thy pen, Anacreon more. In vain I pour my shower of roses, on which the matchless fair one dozes, and plant around her conch the graces, while jealous Venus breaks her laces, to see a younger face promoted, to see her own old face outvoted, and myrtle branches twisting o'er her, bowed down, each turned a true adorer. Up starts the Irish bard, in vain I write, tis all against the grain, in vain I talk of smiles or sighs, the girls all have him in their eyes, and not a soul, mama, or miss, but vows he's the sole bard of bliss. Since first I dipped in the romantic, a hundred thousand have run frantic. There's not a hideous highland spot, long fallowed to the core by Scott, no rill, through rack and thistle dribbling, but has its deadlier crop of scribbling. Each fin, and flat, and flood, and fell, gives birth to verses by the L, their words worth, for his muses sallies, claims all the ponds, the lanes, and alleys, their Coleridge swears none else shall tune a bagpipe to the listening moon. On come in clouds the scribbling columns, each prowling for his next three volumes. I scorn the rascal tribe, and spurn all the yearly, monthly, and diurnal. I write the finest things that ever made Duchess fond, or Marquis clever, although I'd rather half turn Turk, the things such monstrous uphill work. My tons the very cream of fashion, my passion the sublimest passion, my rage satanic. Love the same, of all blue flames, the bluest flame, my piety perpetual maddens, a Quaker propped on double patents, my lovely girls the most precocious, my bows delightfully atrocious. Yet scarcely have I played my card, when up comes politician Ward, before my face he trumps my trump, sweeps off my honors in the lump, and never asking my permission, talks sermons to the third edition. Or Boulogne, Highway Byway, Grattan, the Pyrenees begin to flatten, a feast denied to storm and shower, the pen's the wonder-working power, or Smith, the master of addresses, carves history out in modern messes, tells how gay Charles cooked up his collops, how fleeced his friends, how paid his trollops, how pledged his soul, and pawned his oath, till none would give a straw for both, and touching paupers for the evil, touched England halfway to the devil or hook, picks up my favorite. Hits, for one was friendship between wits. Or Lister, doubly dandified, fidgets his donkey by my side. Or Bulwer rambles back from Greece, wool gathering from the golden fleece. Or forty volumes, piping hot, come blazing from volcano Scott. When pens like theirs play all my game. The tasteless world must bear the blame. I had a budget, full of fan. But here again, I'm lost, undone. I'm so forestalled, that faith. I could half quarrel with my livelihood, for odd it is, my oddities are even all the same with his, would sure would, him of Potter Noster, assist my pilferings to foster, 
I'd turn freebooter. Nay, I would e'en play the part of Robin Hood. But brother wits should never quarrel, nor try to pluck each other's laurel. And though my income's scarce enough to find friend Petersham with snuff, here's peace to all. And kind regards. And brotherhood among the bards. So all, friends, countrymen, and lovers, with one or one and twenty covers, farewell to all. My glory's past. I pen my lay, my sweetest, last. Another phoenix, build my nest of spices, Phoebus' very best, concentrating in these gay pages, wit, worth the wit of all the stages. Love, tender as the midnight talk, and softest summer's midnight walk, with leave to all or as fools to spurn em, nay, if they first will buy, to burn em. To the reviewers. Oh, ye enthroned in presidential all, to give the songsmith generation law, who wield Apollo's delegated rod, and shake Parnassus with your sovereign nod, a pensive pilgrim, worn with base turmoils, plebeian cares, and mercenary toils, implores your pity, while with footsteps rude, he dares within the mountains pale intrude, for, oh, enchantment through its empire dwells, and rules the spirit with Lethean spells. By hands unseen aerial harps are hung, and spring, like Hebe, ever fair and young, on her broad bosom rears the laughing loves, and breathes bland incense through the warbling groves, spontaneous, bids unfading blossoms blow, and nectared streams mellifluously flow. There, while the muses wanton unconfined, and wreaths resplendent round their temples bind, tis yours to strew their steps with votive flowers, to watch them slumbering midst the blissful bowers, to guard the shades that hide their sacred charms, and shield their beauties from unhallowed arms. Oh, may their suppliants steal a passing kiss? Alas, he pants not for superior bliss. Thrice blessed his virgin modesty shall be to snatch an evanescent ecstasy. The fierce extremes of superhuman love, for his frail sense too exquisite might prove, he turns, all blushing, from th shade, to humbler raptures with a mortal maid. I know tis yours, when unscholastic whites unloose their fancies in presumptuous flights, awake to vengeance, on such flights to frown, clip the winged horse, and roll his rider down. But if empowered to strike th immortal lyre, the ardent viotiri glows with genuine fire, tis yours, while care recoils, and envy flies, subdued by his resistless energies, tis yours to bid Pyrian fountains flow, and toast his name in with Seraglio, to bind his brows with amaranthine bays, and bless, with beef and beer, his mundane days. Alas! Nor beef, nor beer, nor bays are mine. If by your looks my doom I may divine, ye frown so dreadful, and ye swell so big, your fateful arms, the goose quill, and the wig, the wig, with wisdom's somrous seal impressed, mysterious terrors, grim portents, invest, and shame and honor on the goose quill perch, like doves and ravens on a country church. As some raw squire, by rustic nymphs admired, of vulgar charms, and easy conquests tired, resolves new scenes and nobler flights to dare nor waste his sweetness in the desert air. To town repairs some famed assembly seeks, with red importance blustering in his cheeks. But when, electric on th astonished white burst the full floods of music and of light, while leveled mirrors multiply the rows of radiant beauties, and accomplished bows, at once confounded into sober sense, he feels his pristine insignificance, and blinking, blundering, from the general quiz retreats. To ponder on the thing he is, by pride inflated, 
and by praise allured, small authors thus strut forth, and thus get cured. But critics, here I an angel pleads for me, that tongueless, ten-tongued cherub, modesty. Sirs, if you damn me, you'll resemble those that flayed the traveler who had lost his clothes. Are there not foes enough to do my books? Relentless trunk-makers and pastry-cooks? Acknowledge not those barbarous allies, the wooden boxmen, and the men of pies, for heaven's sake, let it ne'er be understood that you, great censors, coalesce with wood, nor let your actions contradict your looks, that tell the world you ne'er colleague with cooks. But if the blind muse will indulge a smile, why scowls thy brow, O bookseller? The while? Thy sunk eyes glisten through eclipsing fears, filled, like Cassandra's, with prophetic tears, with such a visage, withering, woe-begone, shrinks the pale poet from the damning done. Come, let us teach each other's tears to flow, like fasting bards, in fellowship of woe, when the coy muse puts on coquettish airs, nor deigns one line to their voracious prayers. Thy spirit, groaning like th encumbered block which bears my works, deplores them as dead stock. Doomed by these undiscriminating times to endless sleep, with Delia Kruskin rhymes, yes, critics whisper thee, litigious wretches, oblivion's hand shall finish all my sketches. But see, my soul, such bugbears has repelled with magnanimity unparalleled. Take up the volume, every care dismiss, and smile, gruff gorgon. While I tell thee this, not one shall lie neglected on the shelf, all shall be sold, I'll buy them in myself.